Zappi looking to Jarrett Stearns who makes the catch and scores. Rappers, Trey Vaughn Anderson. As advertised, touchdown, This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful Sunday afternoon. Welcome back to our second parter of our CFF 2022 rankings summit for the pre-spring I hope, like I said to you guys, hope you guys are having a wonderful day. And if you tuned in last week, welcome back. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome into our ranking summits. Basically, today we are going to be going deep, or we're going to be deep diving into our rankings a little bit and having a little bit of fun. We're going to be covering the top 12 at each position. That'll be running backs and wide receivers, talking about how we feel about the position classes this, this year, excuse me. And then we're going to really dive into our rankings and we're going to kind of rib each other a little bit. Some of us have some guys ranked too high. Some of us got, some of us have them ranked too low and we're going to figure out who's right and who's wrong on that. So like I said to everybody, if you are listening and you're watching this live, first of all, uh, go ahead and make some comments. Feel free to talk in the chat. Uh, really enjoy getting y'all's feedback live as we're doing this. But also, if you don't feel like talking, you're just being a little shy, just give us a little like. That is more than enough to support us going forward for this show. As always, or not as always, but as with last week, I have all th- all four of our CFF experts from Campus of Canton here to discuss our CFF rankings this week. Last week, I started on the right with Brandon, so this week we're going to start on the left with Chris. Chris, why don't you tell everybody who you are, what you're working on, since you, or just tell everybody what you're working on. Uh, yeah, I, I like I said last week, I'm just all over the board with with working on certain things. Um, a lot of attention is being devoted to the college fantasy space right now, keeping up with spring practice reports, keeping up with um, all the news is coming out, making sure our rankings are up to date, uh, you know, keeping track, trying to find insights and, and some value here and there with uh, the ADP that we're collecting over at the site and, and maybe finding some rankings discrepancies. So try to add a little bit of strategy to, to what we're doing, but overall, this is really my focus right now. All right, Nate, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you're working on, sir? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me back on. Uh, what's up, everybody? My name is Nate Marquise. Uh, you can find me at CFF Nate on Twitter. Uh, I love talking college football, college fantasy football on there with everyone. Right now, just really focused on some of the uh, spring practice reports. Uh, we got some spring games kind of cranking up here. We had a few this weekend, and, and I know we've got, I want to say, six or seven uh, next week. So, Keeping my eye on that, uh, we'll be doing a, uh, a post-spring stock up, stock down report once uh, once spring camp wraps up. And uh, I don't know, be on the lookout here before too long. I plan to put together a breakdown of the University of Oklahoma running back room and kind of what that will entail and how it, uh, it could possibly play out with uh, the new coaching staff over there. All right. Next up, Brandon, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you're working on, sir? Yeah, what's up, everybody? I'm Brandon Sanders. You can find me at CFF University. Um, right now, we're just uh, trucking right along with the Future Freshman Podcast. Of course, that releases every Friday morning, so you can get that in video or in podcast form. Um, 
so, you know, just kind of dealing with the 2022 class going on. Uh, I will be attending the UNC spring game coming up here in the next week or so. So you'll have a uh, what you saw with Nate and Jared. You'll have a, you know, a, you know, a game report there. I'm trying to line up a few extra things as far as an interview and things like that. So I'm hoping to bring some extra content to the table. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but I'll be in Chapel Hill on April 9th. So I'm very excited about that. And of course, uh, for now, uh, for at least in a couple hours, my Tar Heels are still in the tournament. So there's that. So I'm trying to root on to the bitter end. So we'll see what happens. But uh, that's what I've been doing right now. It's just focusing on the podcast and uh, getting ready for spring games. So I'm very happy for your Tar Heels, Brandon, mostly because I drafted them in a uh, March Madness draft and you get extra points every time they upset someone and you get, and the Tar Heels have been getting me a ton of points. So I really, really appreciate that. Very um, nice. In terms of who I am, I am Jared Palmgren. I've mentioned this before. I'm the host of the Chasing Natty podcast. What you're listening to is a special edition of the Chasing Natty podcast. You can find us typically over on our own YouTube channel, the Chasing Natty YouTube channel. Uh, but if you listen to us on podcasts, you can listen to us on our own feed, or we're also on the Campus Canton feed, usually there Monday mornings, right there around 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. Try to get that out to you guys early for you early birds who like to be at work at ungodly hours. Um, even still, like I said, in terms of what I'm working on, you're looking at it, Chasing Daddy Podcast. I do this every week, but also I'm starting to really get into the transfer portal. I'm trying to keep track of that better for you guys and just writing it down into a report for you guys this week. If you haven't already, please go over and check out the Transfer Portal Report. I put out the first edition here this week. It is roughly the size of a small novel because I had to a lot to catch up on. But even still, hopefully they're going to be much more easier for you to digest going forward because I'm planning on putting out at least one of those a week. So please be on the lookout for that. And then one last thing before we really get started, me and Chris will be joined by the Gridiron Scholar John Lobb this afternoon around 5.30 where we are going to break down these rankings once again, but we're really going to get the perspective from John Lobb and we're very, very excited about that. So please make sure you tune into that as well. He put out a great article for that about a couple weeks ago and we're really going to dive into it. It's going to be a ton of fun. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get into what you guys came for. Let's talk about some of these running backs and wide receivers and we're going to go straight into the running back rankings. And so I'll go through this real quick, and then just like last week, I'm going to go around to each of the experts we have here. We're going to just talk about how we feel overall about this class. So at our number one spot, we have on average ranked Mr. Bijan Robinson out of Texas. Our, our second running back is Travion Henderson, running back out of Ohio State. Third overall running back, we have Deuce Vaughn out of Kansas. Fourth overall running back, we got Braylon Allen out of Wisconsin. We, our fifth overall running back is Rasheen Ali out of Marshall. Our sixth overall quarterback, Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama. Seventh overall running back, Lou Nichols out of Central Michigan. Our eighth overall running back, we have Tavian Thomas out of Utah. Our ninth overall running back, we have Dwayne McBride out of UAB. Our tenth overall running back is Will Shipley out of Clemson. Our 11th overall running back is Sean Tucker out of Syracuse. And our 12th overall running back is Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. So I'm going to start with the top left. I'm going to go with Chris. Chris, what are your thoughts overall on this running back class? And what do you think are the main takeaways from these top rankings? Um, it's pretty close. I think this is the toughest position currently to rank. Um, you know, I, I could make a case or probably four or five guys being the RB one. And then after that, it's kind of, you know, there's, there's a couple different arguments, probably second tier and 
than a whole bunch of other players. So I think, you know, our top 12 might actually be a tier that goes down to like the top 15 ish. And I think you see that reflected in our rankings. You know, we, we have guys um, outside of the top 12 and like, we have a lot of disagreement on um, even in the top 12 and people having, uh, you know, players that are 15, 16, I think, um, you know, I have a couple that are outside the top 12. And so it's not as, it's not as consensus driven as you might think. Like it, it could be, um, for example, I like you, you we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit, but like I have Deuce Vaughn one, he's got him seven. He's got Rashid Rish- Ali one. We all have him six or seven. So like th- that's a lot of different consensus at the top or lack of consensus at the top. So I think, it's, I, I think there's a lot of different opinions on this running back class, at least this year. Yeah, but one thing that stuck out to me almost immediately when I was putting all this together is the fact that none of us have the same number one. Only two of us have the same number two. And I think we all might have a different number three, it looks like. Uh, yeah, it looks like I might have messed up these um, things a little bit. But even so, I'm, I'm pretty sure like none of us are in agreement on who the one, two, and three are. And I think that very much speaks to what you're talking about, Chris, in terms of just there being no real consensus when it comes to these running backs this year except for who the top guys are. We all agree, like, we're all in the same realm of who the top guys are. There's no, like, somebody's out of nowhere just in the middle of these rankings. But, Nate, we'll start with you next, or we'll go with you next. What are your overall thoughts on the running back class? Well, I I tend to agree a lot with what Chris just said, that you could definitely make an argument for, I don't know, maybe five or six guys here being being the overall RB1. I found it interesting that we have Bijan as our consensus running back one, but I have yet to be in a uh, best ball draft where he was taken ahead of Travion. I want to say Travion's gone as the running back one off the board uh, in pretty much every, every best ball draft that I've been in. So yeah, a few things stand out out of our top six, four of them have new quarterbacks. So that's going to be interesting. Just kind of see, between Gibbs, Ali, Deuce Vaughn, Bijan, they all have new quarterbacks. It's going to be interesting to see how that translates with their production. And then Chris had also mentioned that, that as far as like a tier break, I would say there's actually a tier break maybe at 13. That's where we have Mims, and he kind of checks in as 12th in our, in our composite rankings, like as far as like his average score. And then from there, there's a little bit of a drop-off between uh, uh, 13 and 14. So it just seems like maybe maybe we even have kind of a top 13 here as far as our grouping. All right, Brandon, what are your overall thoughts? Um, kind of same same situation like the other two said. Uh, it's just you pick your poison at one and two. I'm purposely a Travion guy ever since he you know took off last year. He's kind of been my consensus one ever since. Um, what I do see though, is, um, some newer names because of opportunity or from people graduating. So we have those that we'll talk about that kind of rank up there, regardless if you're a Devin HN guy, Texas A&M, or you're looking at Byron Cardwell of Oregon, who has an opportunity there, uh, Braden Bennett at a coastal, you're starting to see guys that are the next man up, uh, here in the RB rankings and looking at opportunity and fit a good scheme that they already have previously put in place. Uh, and then, you know, just like we're talking about some of those quarterbacks have a similar quarterback or, um, and then some of them are still questionable, like a Haynes King out of A&M. So we're still trying to figure it out that situation, but that doesn't take away what a chain has been able to do as far as his, his speed and his quickness. And uh, now he has a chance to take it away with a backfield. So I'm just, uh, happy to see new names that we get to rank in, uh, 
seeing the next man up mentality here in CFF, which is really cool. The one thing I wanted to bring up real quick is I, just, I, I pulled up the ADP for like the, the redraft leagues that I've been doing so far. And I wanted to talk about a couple names that kind of stick out to me that we aren't going to talk about here in a minute. We'll go ahead and talk about them now. Um, Jameer Gibbs, we have ranked at our consensus running back six. He's going as the RB4 in these drafts right now. Are people too high on him, or is this just a sign that we're probably going to be keep moving him up throughout the offseason, especially if these spring reports keep coming out of Alabama? Anybody uh, can chime in here. I mean, I, I think that's just like we talked about. It, it, pick your poison. Some people just you know, tend to maybe favor Gibbs. It obviously is going to have the Alabama effect with him going there that's going to play a role. But, you know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that he's necessarily going to move up that much. But, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're projecting him as Alabama's RB1, which we all are, then, I mean, I, I, top six is still pretty – I mean, that's still pretty high. The other name that kind of stuck out to me is currently going at RB10 with an ADP of 20.9. Is to me the biggest wild card in any draft, whether it be best ball or uh, redraft, and that's Muhammad Ibrahim out of Minnesota. Currently going as the, like I said, going, currently going as the running back ten. I've seen this man go as early as the one-two turn. I've seen him go as late as the fourth and fifth round. So, Chris, you kind of had like a visceral reaction when I mentioned that name. So, I'm going to go to you here, sir, and I'm going to ask what what are your thoughts on Muhammad Ibrahim are. I would, I, he won't end up on a single one of my teams. Um, I have him running back 38 currently. I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah. Nate and I are both outside the top 30. It's a, it's a really big risk taking Ibrahim there. And I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. Like I, he won't be on any of my teams. I just, that's too high, especially for like the amount of risk that's involved. And I don't know if they'll actually hand him the keys. Marquise Irving looked pretty good last year. I think that he might have a role. So I don't think it's going to be the same situation for him coming back either. And I haven't heard really anything positive yet. Like, I think that he's going to miss spring too. Um, but yeah, that's, that's to me way off. Yeah. I mean, I just can't imagine they're going to rush him back. It's, it's a, it's an injury that is uh, very difficult to come back from. I know everybody's going to use the Cam Akers example, but an Achilles is very difficult uh, for the running back position to come back from. Something that you need in order to be explosive. It's your primary push-off uh, muscle. It's 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 where the calf muscle attaches. So I mean, yeah. And he's. We also have seen that Minnesota has proven that they've got some guys behind him now that are are capable of carrying the load as well. So the staff's got to be thinking, why, why give him another 30 carries a game when we've got a handful of guys, at least a couple guys behind him that can do it as well. So I just, yeah, that's just, that's just way too high for me. Brandon, what are your thoughts, sir? Um, I'm, I have him outside the top uh, 15. I have him at 17 right now. I know that's higher than the two guys over here. However, I mean, I'm, one, it's because I, I have shares in him still. So I was just happy to have at least one more shot and one more year to have him as a possible, you know, RB that I can run out there. I wasn't expecting to ever have him on a team again, to be honest. So the uh, the intrigue of even if he's remotely 85% of what he was is still going to be more decent than some of these guys that are brand new to the situation that they're in. Um, you know, some people might disagree with that, but 
uh, if he's remotely got some athleticism left in him, uh, he could, I mean, he might not be rushed back. So we might see a split to start, but once he's back to, I think, what he feels is a hundred percent and you might have to wait. So I mean, I might be moving him down a little bit more now that, uh, Nate and uh, Chris has been talking about it. I might move him down a little bit more and kind of wait and see, but I don't think people should sleep on him either. I mean, I, if you can get him in the fourth and fifth round, that sounds like a pretty decent one where you can stash him away and just hope that he can produce week one. If you're not, then maybe by week four or five, we get Mo back. We'll see. Right. So the only way I'm ever taking Muhammad Ibrahim is if I'm going like heavy RB to start my draft. Like he is my third running back that I am drafting. And if he's somehow there in the fourth and fifth round, that way I'm not relying on him, but then I can maybe might be able to count on some upside. But even like Chris mentioned, I the more and more I hear just not a ton of great news coming out of the Minnesota camp and everything, the more and more I'm just like, okay. And like the chances of him coming back and taking that job and getting those 30 carries again like he was is getting smaller and smaller by the day, and it's something that I'm just going to have to keep fading him until I start hearing some great news out of Minnesota's camp. That's the only situation right now that I could see myself doing, and that's possible because, again, running back um, is probably the one, is the position I hate drafting the most in later rounds. So, like, I am probably going to be taking an RB-heavy approach in a lot of my drafts going forward for this year. So maybe I do kind of take a chance on Mohamed Ibrahim in a league or two. But as of now, where he's going, I, I ain't touching him. All right, let's get into the CFF on trial portion. For those of you who weren't here last week, what we are going to do is we are, each of us have some players who are ranked much higher than everybody else. Some of us have them ranked much lower than everybody else. We're going to highlight some of those guys today. And basically the person who has whose ranking differs from everybody else is going to go first. They're going to give their defense of why they ranked it. And then all the other three members of the team are then going to give their arguments against the ranking. So let's go ahead and get started. We're going to start with Chris this week. Chris, uh, you are defending your ranking of Titus Wynn, also just defending Titus Wynn in general. He is our ECR running back 23 and if you don't know what I mean by ECR that is expert consensus ranking that is our average of all of our rankings together so he ranks the 23rd highest running back out of all of us I have him as my RB 28 Nate him Nate you have him as your RB 27 Brandon you have him as your RB 31 Chris you have him up in the top 24 you have him as RB 17 so Chris what's got you so high on Mr. Swen here couple things one is uh, probably one of the best players in Wyoming's program's history. So Xavier Valade is transferring out. He's onto Arizona State. That's 209 vacated carries. The other running backs that are returning, Dwayne McNeely, DQ James. They're both 190 or less than 190. There's not a similar profile to Swen on the roster. So I don't think there's competition for touches in the red zone. That's one thing. I think the reasonable expectation for Swen, based on what we've seen the last couple of years, which is a neutral game script rush rate of 66%, which is ninth overall since 2017. Fifth, if we exclude triple option teams. So they're running at the fifth highest rate of any team in the country. We know that the, those carries are going to be there. The 2019 validation season, I think, is what we can expect. That season, he had 1,200 yards and six touchdowns, 21 receptions, 211 yards, two receiving touchdowns. He underperformed touchdown expectation. And Valade is a little bit smaller back than Titus Swen is. I think I don't think Valade is over 200. If he is, he's at least 20 pounds lighter than Swen. Swen's kind of a bigger back. 
I think there's a good chance that we see Swen score within touchdown expectation, which would put that season that Valaday had as RB 17, which is, which is funny based on where I have him ranked. I didn't, I didn't realize that before going in, but he also was really good last year. Like the player Titus went himself is distinct from the situation. He was 30th in breakaway percent, uh, eighth in elusiveness in terms of the PFF rating and 22nd in rushing grade. This is a running back. Who's really good by, by himself. They did lose three linemen. Only one of those linemen was actually a quality, uh, quality player, which is their center, Keegan Kreider. But it was still a top 30 unit last year based on average line yards. And they were 19th in power success rate. Titus Quinn's more of a power runner. That matches up really well. They are bringing in um, a new offensive line coach, but I actually don't think he's a bad coach. He had Temple ranked as a top 30 unit um, in power success rate and stuff rate in 2020. And that's pretty impressive to be at Temple, all things considered. I think they have enough players coming in on their offensive line. Logan Harris uh, is returning. Latrell Bible, Zach Watts are, are both going to step into bigger roles. They were two of the top four graded players in PFF. I think Bible will play center, and I think he's a good player. So I think the situation is still going to be good. Valade is gone. There's more opportunity. And where Valade struggled to score within touchdown expectations, I think that's a place that Swen can pick, pick up. So I'm really excited about the situation. And Obviously, I'm higher than y'all are on it. Brandon, you're the lowest out of the bunch here. You got him at RB31. So let's start with you, sir. Um, I, I really have no other option to say other than I just have other running backs that I want to take higher ranked. And I feel like it's, it's nothing against YM or anything like that. Uh, I think Swin did a, a great job. And, uh, you know, over time, he kind of was just taking the role over, you know, Validate anyway. So, I mean, I think it was worth the uh, – the transfer for Valley, we'll see how it plays out, you know, at Arizona State for him. But uh, I think Swin's a great running back. I just have guys that I I trust and I think will produce a little bit more over. And so he kind of fell. I think he's currently at RB30 since I've made some adjustments and stuff like that. So not much of a jump up. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's right there. So it wasn't so much like a uh, anything against him per se. It's just guys that I had a little bit higher over Swin. So that's just, uh, that's just my take. So. All right, I'll go next here just, to, just so I can get my points across before I forget some of them. I'll be real. Um, Chris, I'll ask you one question. So you're talking about how you just think Swen is just a better running back than Valade, and I don't necessarily disagree, but he has been there since 2019 and has been behind Valade through, I'd say, two and a half of those years. He did start to overtake Valade a little bit towards the end of 2021, leading to Valade's transfer out of there. Why do you think that is? I don't trust the coaching staff to get younger players involved. They're a very backwards coaching staff and have been for a very long time. Hence their fifth overall rushing great rushing great since 2017. Mm -hmm. um, they also had Trey Smith there and Trey Smith and Valaday were both like incumbents to the program who had performed really well. Trey Smith is also gone. Uh, he graduated. He was like a sixth year player, seventh year player, something ridiculous like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard for a young player to come in and take a seize a bigger role with that type of coaching staff. And when the incumbents are performing well, like it's really hard to, to sell that to, I think the team. I, and I definitely get that. That was just one question I want to get out of the way real quick. But again, you brought it back to that 2019 season. I agreed with you. I agree with you that when I looked at Valaday's season that year, I'm like, okay, to me, this is like the best, or the, I won't even say the best case scenario. I'm like, if things go well, not even best case scenario, but if things go well, this is the kind of season we should expect out of Swent. And that would have put him as the RB32 last year. 
So right a little bit lower even than where Nate uh, and I have him at and pretty much right where Brandon has him at. But again, you're right, probably adding a little bit of touchdown regression towards a positive end of that. Get him up a little bit higher, probably looking at an RB20, like mid-20s region, I would say. But even still, Wyoming, we can't even truly expect that because Wyoming is a team that doesn't score a ton. Like looking looking back to last year, they scored over 35 points. Oh, wait, hold up. Never mind. I had the wrong season pulled up. That's my bad. Forget what I just said. Um, but even still, um, Wyoming isn't a team that is a team that tends to put up a ton of points, especially once they get into their own conference schedule. So can we really expect them, can we really expect that touchdown regression to go as high as we are expecting it to go there? That's kind of my piece on it. Again, I'm not like anti-Swin. I, I think he's going to have a great year. And I think drafting him right around the like late 20s range is perfect for him. I'm not ready to try to reach up into the RB17 range, which would put him in the third round, like the tail end of the third round. That's not a name I would typically kind of go for right around that range. So that's kind of my piece on it. Again, I like Swin. I think he's going to have a great year. I'm just not as high as Chris. Nate, you got any uh, thoughts on this before we let Chris respond to our arguments? Yeah, I got a, I got a few thoughts here. So you had mentioned you were trying to figure out what they average per game. They actually they averaged 25 points a game last year, which was good Thank for you, 86. Sir. 86 in the country. Um, not great. But part of the problem with – uh, where Valade has been drafted over the last few years is that he doesn't have the touchdowns really to back it up. He, part of the issue with him and his career is that he does get a lot of yardage, catches the ball well out of the backfield, but doesn't score a ton of touchdowns because they love to run the quarterbacks uh, around the goal line. So I think you could probably say that this, those same concerns probably still exist for Swin. They're bringing in Andrew Peasley from Utah State, who's probably going to get that quarterback job. He's a, um, a dual threat, a very, very much so a running quarterback. So that will continue. I think the biggest issue that I have overall with Titus Swin is really not him as a player, but it's that program overall. I'm scared to death really about investing in Wyoming right now. It just like something's up. They had a mass exodus of transfers over this offseason between offense and defense. It just... I think, and you'd mentioned the, the neutral game script, Chris, I think there's a chance that they're playing from behind a lot more this year than what they have in the past. I just don't think they're going to be a very good football team this year. They just lost so much. Um, they're still probably going to try to run the ball like they always do. That's what Craig Bull does. He loves to run the ball. But if, if they're running it less uh, due to just having a, a negative game script, then you would like to see Swin as somebody like Valade that can catch the ball out of the backfield. The problem is he's got eight catches in his career since 2019. So he hasn't proven that he is much of a receiving back. So it's hard to say that that's going to be a factor. Um, the only other two things that I will say real quick is that you'd mentioned uh, Dwan McNeely as some of, one of the guys behind him here. So in the bowl game last year, he actually went, step-for-step step with Swin and Valade as far as carries and production. And Craig Bull, what he said about him this offseason is he is a, quote, great asset to the running back room, and we plan to uh, use him more to share the load in order to keep our running backs fresh. So I do think that it sounds like at least the staff is interested in having McNeely be part of this. And then the last, kind of the last point I'll make is, is that Wyoming does play a week zero uh, 
scheduled games. So they have two bye weeks uh, thrown in there. So that just always concerns me whenever uh, we're looking at, at rankings, when you have to factor in that there's, there's going to be at least two weeks that you're not going to get him for sure. All right, Chris, you've heard, you've heard the arguments against Mr. Swen. Are you willing to move him down? Or are you going to stick to your guns at 17? What are you thinking, sir? I can envision myself moving him down a little bit. And the reason I say that is because Nate's probably right that I shouldn't be investing highly in a Wyoming player. Like there's stink around that program. Like Craig Bowl has kind of worn out, worn out his welcome. I think like, I don't, I'm not sure players are really looking to play for that program anymore. Um, I will probably keep him in the top 20 though. Like I'll probably, like I'll maybe move him to 20. I just think the opportunity given the, like the rushing attempts they will have this year, like they, they average like a ridiculous number. They average over 400 a, a year, I think. Um, like it could be a really inefficient year and still grind out like 1200, 1300 yards. Um, so like it, it is a scary situation and I will, I will acknowledge that. So I'll probably move him down a couple spots, but just the pure volume makes me still fairly interested. And it's not a, it's really not that tough of a schedule this year. Like it, it really is a, a pretty, I don't say easy, but like it's, they have a lot of poor rush defenses, I think on their schedule. So their non-con we'll is Illinois, Tulsa and Northern Colorado. And then they get into yeah. conference. Oh, and, and BYU. I forget BYU is not. Yeah. And let, BYU's let ask, defense is terrible. Let, let me ask you this, Chris, if you got into a draft and Swin and Chris, Rus- Chris Rodriguez were sitting on the board still, who would you take? Um, I don't know where my rankings have them. You got them right. You got them right next to each other. I would take Swin. I think that Kentucky offense is going to be really like, I, I, I expect a major aggression in that Kentucky offense this year. Swin or Chris Smith? Uh, probably Chris Smith. Okay. All right. Well, maybe we can get you to move Chris Smith ahead of Swin then. I'll do, I will do that. Okay. I will, I will do that. Cause I like, I like Chris Smith. So yeah. I, I am on board with that. What do I have Chris Smith? Like 19 or 20? Yeah. You got him just a few spots behind Swin right now. So yeah, right around 20. All right. I I'm on board with that. Team Chris Smith, here we are. Me and me and Chris. Team Chris Smith. Got it. Got to share. Got to hype up my name. Name share. That's right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All righty. So Chris, we've gotten you to move uh, Titus Wynn down just a few spots. Uh, we're gonna move on to Brandon. Brandon, you're on the chopping block now. Uh, you're on trial for your ranking of Mr. Marquez Cooper, running back out of Kent State. He's currently our ECR running back 29. I am right there with it. I have him as my RB 29. Nate, you have him as RB34. Chris, you have him up there in RB23. But Brandon, you're much further back than the rest of us. You got him down at RB45. So, sir, please explain yourself. First, I know that Nate's going to grill me on Quentin Johnson. So I'm well prepared for Marquez Cooper, at least. So let's let's hash out some Marquez Cooper. All right. I'm going to go ahead and, and be the first to say I was too low at first. I like to do my digging. So in NCAA, of course, when it comes to the offense, who is one and two, right? So it's Ohio state. And then we have our good friends at uh, Western Kentucky, but guess who was fourth behind Virginia? It was Kent state, right? So then we look at Marquez Cooper, the man finished 43rd overall as the running back out of all 215 running backs on fan tracks, right? So he did 206 fanny points. That's still pretty good, right? So 
my comparison was like, okay. And then there's no Dustin Crump. So I, I'm a matching guy on Tuesdays. That's how I earned a lot of my money on DFS was I would stack Marquez. I would stack Crum and I would pick a random receiver from like NIE or something like that. And then I would make the money there. Uh, at first I was quite concerned because there is no more Dustin Crum. Uh, he's not there anymore. And then I, when I was late taking a look, you cannot play Marcus Cooper when he goes up against these huge power five teams. He disappeared against AM. He disappeared against Iowa. So there's the that factor where it's like you only really can play Marquez when it's like prime match in season when you do it. And that's what the benefit of taking Marquez Cooper is. So since then, I was like, listen, I was I, I was probably too low. Maybe I'm overthinking it. So he is my RB. 34 now which is kind of closer to where you guys are at uh to go along with it but that's the point i was trying to make is just marquez cooper should probably be relied on more heavily when you're the fourth overall offense and you have well over you know 50 something touchdowns and stuff like that uh, he did have quite a bit on there but you would expect more from marquez cooper especially uh this year and that's why i moved him up some because there is no dustin crumb to do the stack with so that's where i'm kind of taking cooper a little bit higher hoping that he carries the load a little bit more uh, he did flash a little bit more towards the conference championships and stuff like that. So I did enjoy that type of situation. Um, but overall, uh, that's kind of where I was seeing the point of view. And that's kind of my argument why I did it 45 at first, but currently 34. So I'm kind of right up there where Nate's at right now currently. So that's that's kind of my argument. Does anyone care to rebuttal first? I'll go first. Um, so I'm going to use an argument that Nate used against me last week that I think is as has some merit to it and you got to look at guys who are earning more and more of their keep year over year marquez cooper started for kent state uh for his freshman year um in the 2020 season obviously the 2020 season cut much shorter uh didn't quite get a full season's run there but even if you stretched him out throughout the entire year he still didn't get nearly as much run as he did last year under the kent state offense and so you're seeing his role grow more and more each year i was a little concerned about xavier williams kind of popping up there near the end of the year but i think marcus cooper with another offseason under his belt is going to retake that job completely despite the fact that xavier williams had a very very good uh final game there because marcus cooper had a very very good uh finish to the season three out of the last four weeks he finished as a top 36 running back there um and once again it's a mac running back you're right you don't want to play them against like a power five team and good god their schedule is a nightmare this year in the first three weeks they got georgia they got oklahoma they got washington you never play but you never play a mac running back that early that you don't like you take him knowing that you can't do that you want him for those later weeks and again without dustin crumb without a proven quarterback that is going to get the the ball downfield you probably will see marquez cooper kind of get a bit a much higher uh workload and it can say offense that was one of the highest rushing offenses last year and so I fully expect Marquez Cooper to be somebody I might be moving up like like more and more as the offseason goes along, especially if I, again, if guys like Zach Evans or other guys ahead of him who situation is kind of getting worse as the offseason goes along, whether they're, they have people added to the transfer portal, whether guys get injured and stuff like that, I could totally see myself relying a little bit more and more on Marquez Cooper as the offseason goes along. Chris, you're muted, sir. Ah, uh, dang. Thanks. Um, I'm obviously the highest on him. Um, you know, I have him RB23. I just, like, I think it's going to be wheels up for him this year. It's a good offensive line. Last year, they ranked 25th in line yards. 
and they rank fourth in opportunity rate. And the opportunity rate is basically defined as did the offensive line do their job blocking this play and give the run back a chance? Yes, no. So it's a really solid offensive line. They return their best starters. If anything, we see more work at the goal line. Um, Crum had 12 rushing touchdowns, which was seven more than expectation. I I don't see Schley with 12 touchdowns next year. And I think that you could see a guy like Marcus Cooper get three, four more of those that he didn't get last season. Um, Nikeem Johnson is gone and he's someone who works like really close to the line of scrimmage. So I think that could improve the opportunity he has in the receiving game. Um, but I, I agree with a lot of what Jared said. Um, when we take those three games out, he would have averaged 18.9 points. That would have been RB 27. Um, but you're not playing him. And I think consistency is kind of overrated. It, it, it doesn't win weeks to have the guy who finishes RB like, or like with 15 points a game. So, you know, he has the ceiling, you know, that this year you can't start him against Georgia and Oklahoma. Washington's defense on against the run is terrible. It's one of the worst rushing defenses in the country. Um, I think there's an advantage to knowing you can't start him in those weeks, but you have a very productive running back otherwise as to where you're drafting somebody else to say, Oh, can I really start him against uh, this, this Oklahoma defense? Maybe, maybe not. And you're getting eight points. You're not starting Nikeem Johnson. You're not probably having, or Marquez Cooper. You're not having to start Marquez Cooper in a lot of matchups either. His last five games of the season and like peak match and play uh, was good for RB 17. Like you start him in Mac and you're, you're good. Like even if he doesn't finish RB 23, where I have him, I think you're going to be happy in the weeks that you do start him. And he has weak winning upside, which is why I have him higher than I think where he may finish because he does have some of those more difficult out of conference games. Like I, that's just how I prioritize against the position. All right. Very good. Nate, what are your thoughts, sir? Yeah, I will. I will absolutely reiterate what Chris was just saying there that, yeah, he does have three built-in buys between Oklahoma, Georgia, and his actual bye week. But yeah, there there is a huge difference between knowing you can you have to sit a guy and can plug somebody else in for that week versus having somebody you're on the fence with for a handful of weeks out of the year just because you don't know what you're going to get out of them. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. If 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 Brandon's strategy was to um, soften the blow by Go ahead and moving them up before the uh, before the debate here, uh, in order to avoid a, a total um, pummeling. He is he's probably succeeded with that. I can no longer uh, attack him probably as hard as I once uh, could have because I was gonna. One of my arguments was gonna be that he's got um, Noah Kane, George Halani, and Tyon Evans ahead of him, and I think Noah Kane is objectively bad at football, and I just don't see how. Guys like that can be ranked ahead of Cooper. Um, you mentioned it, uh, Jared, that how he improved as the season went on. He went from averaging nine fantasy points in September, 15 in October, 23 in November. So clearly he was trending in the right direction, and most of that is due to uh, conference play. But I think part of that is also just due to the, the staff got familiar with him and started to trust him more. And I, I definitely think that a, a touchdown regression could come from the quarterback position, which could benefit him some there. So, yeah, I won't, uh, I won't totally hammer on you here, Brandon, because you have already moved him up. Um, and I think that, you know, where you've moved him up to is probably adequate because the non-conference 
does loom. It's just hard to play a guy like this in until we get to October. So I'm looking at the ADP real quick. I got the sheet pulled up and I like comparing our rankings compared to like what ADP has him. So currently Marcus Cooper is going as the RB 37. So ADP is, is more in line with what Nate and Brandon are doing. But I want to point out some of the guys going ahead of him. So Kendra Miller at TCU is about to be in a, in a running back by committee there because they just brought in Amani Bailey. They brought in Traylon Smith. There's no way that they're going to give him the rock as much as people want him to. Jalen Knighton, as the season goes on, just looks like he's going to not get the workload that he got last year when he literally every other running back in the room was injured. So as much as I like Jalen Knighton, I, I'd take Marcus Cooper ahead of him. Uh, you got Jay Ducker and Memphis, who, yeah, if he wins the Memphis running back job, that's great, but we have no clue. We know Marcus Cooper is the running back one at Kent State. Uh, some other guy, Nicholas Singleton, which, again, I love Nicholas Singleton, but he hasn't touched a ball in college yet. We're going to take him over a, guy, a proven guy like Marquez Cooper in a very productive offense? I don't think so, sirs. I don't think so at all. So what do you guys think about stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I think those are I think those are fair points. This is a guy that he's he's proven he can handle uh, you know upwards of twenty carries a game. Uh, I mean, let's see, he averaged twenty carries a game over the last two months of the season. So yeah, they're breaking in a new quarterback. I think it's likely um, that the volume is going to be there for him. This is a, let's face it, Kent State has a fantastic offense and they are consistently good. So I I just I think he is a pretty high floor guy you just have to draft him knowing what you're going to get and you're going to get nothing in september and a whole lot in the last two months right around playoff time yep i also want to throw out joquavius marks is going ahead of him like by like several rounds and god that's one of the worst values in cff adp right now do not draft joquavius marks right now y'all he he's also going way too high campus can adp like he's the worst value i think in all formats there's (laughs) There are, there, he's one of the, he's, he's a polarizing guy. I feel like there are people out there that love him and they will not um, pivot off of him. And again, yeah. there's, there's people like me who have been screaming for uh, over a year now that he's not worth where he's going. All right, Brandon, you've, you've heard the arguments and everything. What are your thoughts on Marcus Cooper? You've already mentioned that you've already moved him up since these rankings came out, uh, but are you going to move him up even further? Are we, are we that convincing? Uh, I mean, I think RB34 is, I mean, it sounds like ADP, everything's lining up. Um, I don't think I'll stay put. I think with some changes, uh, especially as camps are going on, he'll, he'll probably move up higher. Uh, I'll admit I'm probably, probably taking Marquez for granted a little bit. And like I said, like you guys are right. He's proven commodity. Uh, whereas, you know, I might be too hyped on some of the, uh, guys that I haven't seen a full, uh, 12 games from or anything like that in particular. So, I can understand where maybe I just take the action for granted and maybe, um, you know, yeah, I get it. You know, I don't play him in power five, but you know, he's still going to be good for the rest of the year and you know what you're getting out of him. So that might, that might bump me up into maybe uh, RB 30, RB 29, something like that in particular for sure. All right, let's move on here. Uh, we're going to put myself on the chopping block here. That's because I am on trial for ranking Jairo Brock much higher than everybody else. Jairo Brock being the new running back at Iowa State. ECR currently has him as RB40. Brandon, you have him as RB68. Nate, you have him as RB33. Chris, you have him as RB57. We are all over the board with this one. And guys, I got him all the way up at RB17. All right, what are we doing here? Guys, this is the Iowa State running back. 
Let's talk about what has happened with the Iowa State running back over the last couple of years. Since 2017, you got David Montgomery. Dude had 258 carries for 1,100 yards and 11 touchdowns. All His entire stat line would have been good to be the RB19 last year. Very next year, 2018, David Montgomery again. Pretty much an almost near identical stat line would have finished right around the RB20. Last year, or excuse me, not last year, 2019, Brees Hall. This is kind of the nightmare scenario. Brees Hall's first year, 186 carries, 897 yards, and 9 touchdowns on the ground. Uh, with 23 catches through the year, 252 yards, and a touchdown. That would have been good for RB40 last year. That's kind of the nightmare scenario. But like, if that's the nightmare scenario, I'll take it. I will take it in an, in a system that has proven to give me really, really good running backs. Because Brees Hall in 2020 had 279 carries for 1,500 yards and 21 touchdowns, 23 receptions for 180 yards. This would have been good for the RB3 last year. And then Brees Hall went and was the RB1 last year. This is a system over the last five years that has consistently given us um, CFF running backs. And you can say, oh, like Jairo Brock, he's been behind Brees Hall for so long, never really took over. Well, again, I don't think talent's an issue here. Brock was rated higher than Brees Hall. I think Brees Hall just became the guy at Iowa State because that's the kind of system they run. Brock has patiently waited his turn. As soon as Brees Hall was out the door, Brock became the main guy in the game against Clemson. Didn't have a great game against Clemson, but again, it's Clemson's D-line. It's second only to Georgia's last year in terms of the, their ability to stop the run. So I just don't understand. Like, Nate, I can kind of get you. Like, RB33, like you're, you, it's a new commodity. You're a little bit down on him. But Brandon and Chris, y'all got him outside the top 50. What is going on here? Um, I'll, uh, he's, you know, I've made adjustments. So he's 44 for me. So he's not terribly there, but it's a, uh, still outside the, the top 40. Yes. It's, it's a, uh, opportunities there. You know me, I love opportunity. I love the, uh, you know, the chance that he gets to be the main guy, but he has, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a show me situation. It's like, I need, I need to see what the guy is going to do, you know? So for me, it's like, I'll move him up as the weeks go up, but, uh, it's, a. Uh, you know, I'm saying the system's all there. Everything's in play. Everything's ready to go. I just need to see if Brock's that guy and he can put out what a Brees Hall or even a David Montgomery, who's, you know, really still pretty decent for NFL fantasy. So, uh, you know, that's that's me. That's why I moved him up to 44 for the opportunity. Granted, I didn't know who he was up until probably like two or three months ago, to be honest with you. So that's where, you know, uh, you know, he's climbed up on my radar. But like I said, opportunities there. I just need I need to see if he's just as good as these other two guys. So. Chris, right, Chris. which one do you want to go? I'm I'm the lowest now, so I'll I'll go. I I have Marv 57. I can maybe move him up a couple spots, but I think we are overrating the system and underrating the players involved here. Last season, Iowa State's offensive line was really bad. They ranked 93rd in offensive line yards, 119th in power success rate, 106th in stuff rate. 85th and opportunity rate. I talked about that stat earlier about when the line does their job. They've also lost their two best linemen, Derek Schweiger and Colin Newell. And it's tough when you lose your starting center, because that's really the piece that makes it all click. And this was a really bad unit. Otherwise, how does this compare to their previous seasons in 2020? They were ranked 53rd, 2019. They're ranked 65th, 2018. They're ranked 35th. Those are good seasons or at least close to average seasons. We didn't get that last year. And Brees Hall had to overcome a lot. And so when you look at how Brock did in his, admittedly, like a smaller sample, 
He was stuffed on 22% of his carries. He had a 5.6 explosive rush rate. Brees Hall had doubled that. He had negative 0.6 rushing yards over expected per attempt. This means that in the average scenario, he had more than half a yard fewer than the average player has. Brees Hall had a full yard more than him. So Brees Hall was able to overcome this bad play. Brock was not. He is the lowest target rate on ra- all routes uh, run among all running backs. So here, I think he ran 60-something routes. He had like six targets. This is not a guy who gets tar- targeted all, all that often. So I don't think he has that receiving upside that Brees Hall has. I don't think he's a good player. Like, there's no evidence that tells me that he is a good, solid player. I do think he's the incumbent and will get the opportunity. But what does this opportunity mean if you're losing offensive linemen and you're losing – your offensive line is just bad in general. This is a very different unit than it was the last three years. So, yes, opportunity is there, but it's a bad – it's not a great situation. And Montgomery and Brees Hall had better ones, and Brees Hall was able to overcome it last season in the second half, because you saw how bad he was in the first half of last season. He was not good. And a lot of that was offensive line play. I don't think Brock's nearly as talented. So I, like, I can't get him in my top 40 to, to be honest. So, and obviously I'm kind of splitting the difference between where Brandon and Chris are and, and how high Jared, how high you have him right now, Jared, I would say actually one of the biggest arguments that could be made in your favor is that, Campbell didn't bring in another running back. I, I, from I, I forgot to mention that, and yeah. I, I wanted I wanted to be kind and let you guys make your arguments. I was going to bring that up as soon as you know, you guys were yeah. all finished. Yeah, that's. I mean, the fact that they didn't bring in a transfer running back was surprising to me. Um, they haven't even really been linked to a guy, which is kind of crazy. So that that's really why I can't move him down. It tells me that this staff does have confidence in him. They they've mentioned that. I've read some practice reports. They've mentioned it's it's his backfield now. He's going to be the guy. So that's that's kind of the difference. But the reason why I can't move him up higher, you know me, I'm a systems guy. I love I love um, hyping up great systems. And clearly, Matt Campbell has shown a really nice track record with running backs. But when yeah, we heard all last last offseason that. Brock was a good enough talent to where they were going to start playing him more in order to spell Brees Hall. What did we see last year in the games where Brees Hall was active? Brock averaged two carries per game. Um, so it they didn't have that much confidence in him. I get it. Brees Hall's a stud. Don't get me wrong. Whenever Brees Hall sat out the bowl game, what did Jarrell Brock do? 14 carries for 42 yards. Yes, it was against Clemson, a really, really good defense, but 14 carries for 42 yards when you finally get your opportunity doesn't install a whole lot of confidence in how he plays. Um, And I watched tape on both, both of him and Hall came out the same year. I watched tape on both of them because Jarrell Brock was the higher rated guy. And I, you, it did not take long to watch the tape and say, Brees Hall is by far the better player of these two. And the one that you want to invest in uh, for the Iowa state backfield in the future. So I, you know, I mean, that's, I think that's, that's where I'm kind of, I'm kind of splitting the difference between the system and the talent. I totally understand what, what Chris is saying as well, too. He is no Kareem Hunt. He's no David Montgomery. He's no Brees Hall. Um, I don't think he is of the same talent that Campbell has brought in in the past, but Campbell hasn't brought anybody else in to compete with him, at least not yet. So I'll keep him here until I see something different um, in, in the transfer portal. And again, I, I totally get the arguments because, again, I would agree with you. Like he, I agree. He's not Montgomery. He's not Brees Hall. But Brees Hall was a guy, again, consistently 
in in two years finish in the top three, if not top five, are running backs in the country. I don't have Gyro Brock rated that high. I have him down a little bit further in RB17 range. Probably could knock him down a few spots. You're probably right. I probably am overcorrecting a little bit here based on what I'm seeing everybody else do. Because right now, he in ADP, he's going as RB36. That is a steal for me. I already mentioned earlier that I don't like drafting our running backs later in these drafts right now. Again, I like to try to hit him a little bit early right now. But if I don't hit RB early, Gyro Brock is easily one of my favorite guys to try to grab in the, like again, his average ADP puts him right there in like the seven round seven, round eight range. Love grabbing him right there. Because that's, again, to me, I got a guy who I think has the upside of an RB, like a top 24 RB that much later in the draft. I'm totally willing to take that right there, especially around guys like Taiji Spears, um, Ulysses Bentley's going around there. Granted, I think part of that's uh, because of everybody was assuming he was going to be the starter at SMU. Um, I'll take him over Kendra Miller, Raheem Sanders, Jalen Knighton. I'll take him over all those guys in terms of ADP. Um, and again, Nate, you, you mentioned the fact that, again, Campbell has been speaking very highly of Brock, is willing to give him his shot this year. I think, again, let me look at their schedule real quick. Um, I think he's going to have the opportunity to do um, what they want him to do. Nate, you brought it the fact that they haven't brought another transfer. I believe in that, and that's why I think I'm going to uh, I'm going to invest in him for right now as a potential guy. Yeah, because... They start off Southeast Missouri State. He's going to be fine just that week. Iowa, that's a little bit more dicey. I'll give you that. That's probably not a week I'd play him. But then you got Ohio, Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas. Texas ain't going to be improving their defense anytime soon, I don't think. There's plenty of opportunity for him to get a um, a great workload in those first couple of weeks. And I don't really see him... If he performs badly against some of those teams, yeah, I was wrong from the very beginning. And there's going to be another guy who's going to take over that running back room for Iowa State. I think, I mean, if if you're looking at where he's going as far as ADP, I, I'm perfectly fine with taking him, you know, in the early 30s, stuff like that. Even in, even in the late 20s, if you're really liking him. But just where you have him, probably a little bit too rich for me. I do think there's some other guys going after him that play in really, really run-heavy uh, or run friendly systems, you know, like, um, Mc, uh, what's his name? Dylan McDuffie from, uh, from Buffalo, even chase, chase Brown over at Illinois. Those guys have proven that they, that they are really quality players and also playing the system. Yeah. And that's fair. And, I, but, I, but then I look back at some of the guys that are going around that range or like around the range I have them. And you got guys like tank Bigsby. I'm off of tank Bigsby this year where he's going, I'm probably not going to own any Tank Bigsby. I'm probably going to drop him even lower in my rankings than I have him right now because as far as I'm able to... As far as I can tell, I don't trust Brian Harson to get him the workload that he probably deserves in that system. Jaquavius Marks, we already talked about him. I'm not. I'm taking Jairo Brock 100 times out of 100 times over him. Uh, Braden Bennett, uh, I like Bennett as a talent, but that system has shown to split carries between running backs before, even among ones that are more talented than the others. So I'm probably going to take Brock over him. Chris Smith, you guys know my opinion on him. I'm afraid that they're going to go by committee again next year, so I'm probably going to take him over him. To me, there's just too many guys that are going ahead of Brock right now that I'm happy, I'm happy to take Brock a little bit earlier if some of the other guys going around that range are guys like Bigsby, Chris Smith, Braden Bennett, Marks, guys like that. All right. So that's my piece on Jairo Brock. Again, I'll probably move him down just a few spots. Again, I don't have my rankings pulled. Actually, I do have my rankings pulled up here. Um, 
I probably could drop him down to like RB21. Is that fair to y'all? Like 2021? 20, I was hoping more for like 45. No. <laughs> 40-ish. <laughs> all righty, all righty, you knuckleheads. Let's go to Nate. Nate, you're the last one on the chopping block for running backs. And we're going to go all the way to the top of our rankings for this one. Because I mentioned earlier that each of us have a different one at RB1. Or a different uh, running back at RB1. But none of them are so distinct as Nate. Nate, you have Rashina Ali running back on a Marshall going as your RB1. Brandon, you have him as your RB7. I have him at RB6. Chris, you have him as RB7. Like I said, Nate, you have him all the way up there at number one. So, Nate... What are you loving so much about Rasheen Ali that you are willing to put him as your RB1? Well, I I think, I mean, he was the number one scoring. He's the number one scoring returning running back. So I don't, I don't know that I'm doing anything crazy by saying that the top scoring guy could potentially be the top scoring guy. You know what I mean? So um, he had 24 TDs last year. I, I know a lot of people have moved him maybe down off of, you know, their, their top five because of TD regression potential here. And I think it's fair to say, yeah, he's, he's 24 touchdowns is probably not sustainable. Um, but I mean, Marshall is coached by, by Charles Huff who coached the running backs at Alabama in 2019 and 20, where Najee Harris went for 20 touchdowns and 30 touchdowns. So there's touchdowns to be had in this guy's system. Um, you know, I mean, he had, let's see, I mean, he had 295 total touches. Bijan, who is our composite number one running back, had 210. Uh, Henderson, who's number two in our composite, had 197. I mean, if we're just talking sheer volume and system, I mean, it's, it's hard to argue with those numbers when we're looking at a guy that could be getting close to 100 touches more than the guys that, that most of us, a lot of people have ranked ahead of him. Um, you know, I, I think 300 touches isn't out of the question. Um, you know, as far as guys in our top 12, the only ones that get that type of workload would be like a Braylon Allen, or you can probably make an argument for Deuce Vaughn, although I, I have my concerns that he could get to 300 touches with Adrian Martinez coming into the fold. So Running backs, I was looking at some of the numbers, running backs that received 250 or more carries last year averaged 15.2 touchdowns. That's essentially his floor. Now add in, he had 45 receptions and we could be looking at another 17 touchdown season. So even if we are saying TD regression is kind of the main concern here, if 17 touchdowns is, is probably your floor, that still makes him a top five running back. That's still a really, really safe, safe floor. Uh, as it stands now, Henry Columbia is probably going to be the quarterback. That's not great, but he's serviceable. He's serviceable at this level. Um, it would not surprise me if we see a transfer come in. I know that uh, the Auburn guy that just exited uh, uh, Auburn, what's his name? Uh, Demetrius Davis. Is that right? Um Yes. He's in he's I know that Marshall has been in contact with him, so I don't think that's out of the question. Um, but, you know, it's just I just think that this is a case, you know, where we have volume, we have system, we have level of competition is what it is. I just for me, that has the makeup of an RB one. It's just a really, really high floor that he's got. And sometimes I just think we overthink it if we place him too low. 
I don't think any, I, I don't think any of us are going to sit here and tell you that Rasheen Ali sucks or that the situation is bad or anything like that. Again, this is one of those scenarios where I think it's just slightly preferring guys in other systems over uh, Ali. I have him as the second highest, which isn't saying much. I have him six versus other guys I have him as seven. Um, I do like what I see out of him. I do like the idea of him being like that entire offense, and he plays in a conference that is bad enough for him to do that, especially. They move over to Sun Belt and everything like that. Like, ain't no reason for me not to expect that he's he'll be perfectly fine just to run him up the gut thirty times a game and bada bing, bada boom, we call it a day. Um again, you're right. My my main concern here is touchdown regression. He did overperform his touchdown expectation by about seven touchdowns last year, uh account, accounting for both receiving and for um and for rushing totals. But you said, like, take away those seven touchdowns. Do you still have a top five back? No, because last year you would have finished in top ten rather than top five. But again, we're I, I feel like we're just nickel and diming here. Um, that's just why I'm, I'm like a little... I'm not going to put him at number one. Again, I agree with you that... Again, he'll probably be that entire offense. But if he's that entire offense and teams start to key on in on him and they're not able to move the ball in any other effective way... Because again, Grant Wells was a pretty good passer. So like when they needed to, and they needed him to get a, uh, they needed him to convert a third down, uh, like third and seven. He he was able to do it. I'm not so sure Combine is going to be able to do that, and I just think that Marshall's probably not going to get have as many scoring opportunities as they had last year. So I fully expect that uh, touchdown regression to come for Ali and hit him pretty good. So again. I'm not again. We're, we're we're splitting hairs here with Ali. We all love him. We all think he's going to be great this year. He's absolutely worth a first round pick, or if you can get him in the early second, that's a steal. Quite frankly, um, that's just kind of my thoughts on it. That's my biggest fears of him, Chris or Brandon. Either one of you guys want to chime in here? I'll be I'll be quick because like I right, he's still my RB seven, so I'm not like off of him. I the touchdown aggression is going to hit him, um, and I think it's going to hit him. I think he's. He scored 24 touchdowns. I think he's closer to 14 this year. Um, that offense was top 36 in success rate with Grant Wells. Grant Henry Columbia's a huge step back. They're 99th in returning production on offense. And that's really concerning because what made that offense click was the efficient nature of it. They lose their a first team all conference USA lineman and Alex Millette. And they also lose a second team lineman in Will Will Omer. I don't think that he's going to be nearly as efficient. This year, and he handled a huge chunk of carries. I think Sheldon Evans could be more involved. I think they could, I don't know if Andrew Daniels ever going to do anything, but I think they could be a bigger split. And yeah, maybe that leads to more receiving work for him. But I'm the situation there is concerning to me because Wells is leaving and their two best linemen are leaving. And that, that's enough for me to push him down outside of my top three. Um, but I mean, he's still RB seven. Like I think he's going to finish as an RB one. I just think it's closer to twelve than it is one. Brandon, um, I know we're just, like I said, it's split hairs, and I love Rashid Ali. And Ali comes. Uh, we'll look at a dynasty's perspective. He comes with a heavy toll if you're trying to go after Rashid Ali. The dude's absolute stud. I agree. Uh, schedule's cake, so it's going to be easy for him. Uh, you know, Marshall's you know ranked sixteenth overall in offense. That's not too bad. Um, but for me, it's, you know, the top offense is Ohio state. I don't want to jump on the Ohio state train. I'll let our boy, uh, 
Matt Bruning do that for the rest of us there. But, uh, you know, what I'm saying like they got a steady one and two and I get a lot of their production came from Malave and Wilson and JSN. But this year it's JSN, Marvin Harrison Jr. They still got to figure out between Fleming or I call him East Square. I can't say the guy's last name. Sorry. Um, but Trigon Henderson is a home run go guy. And I know like a lot of people will look at Ali and say he is the safe bet because he is very consistent and he's just going to pummel people to the ground. Like I said, we're splitting hairs, but I'd rather have the running back from the top offense. And so that's where I'm coming from taking Henderson one overall. So. All right, Nate, what are your overall thoughts? Did we convince, yeah. did we, did we convince you to move Ali out of the RB one slot? Two, two things real quick. So Chris, Chris brought up the, some, some of his concerns. I will say that Evans, is in the portal. So we're not worried about him and knowledge. McDaniel is in legal trouble. So I'm, I think I'm not McDaniel's really... also in the portal. Okay. So, yeah. So uh, I just, I, I don't, I don't know that what they have coming back is of any, um, any concern there. Their non-conference schedule. I will say this is yeah, they get Notre Dame. So they have the one tough, the other three Norfolk state bowling green Gardner Webb. I mean, those are those are teams that uh, if he doesn't have 100 yards and two touchdowns, I would be surprised with. So we've got in those, those three games alone. I mean, we're probably looking at six plus touchdowns. I think I think maybe the biggest difference um, with where I'm at and with where you guys are at. Obviously, we keep coming back to the TD regressions because 24 touchdowns just seems absurd. Like I said, even though the same coach, coach are running back who averaged 25 touchdowns in two years, but it's it it's a, a cert, it's it really is an absurd amount, but I, I think where I'm at is I think he regresses to somewhere around 17, and you guys probably have him more maybe in that 13 to 14 range, and and that's probably the biggest difference in where we're at. You, you you're probably not looking at a, a top three running back if he's closer to 13, but you could be if he's closer to 17. Yeah, I have I I again with my regression analysis, I put him at assuming 17 touchdowns last year, and that would have put him as an RB10. Or at RB and not a RB ten, the RB ten. So that's, yeah, that's that's kind of my my deal with it. I, I I still you're right. I think he just the way that offense is run, the opportunities he's going to get, he's probably not going to regress the full seven, but it's going to be enough for me to think, okay, he's not going to finish quite as high as he did last year. All right, so let's go ahead and start moving on to these wide receivers. So we talked running backs here. Let's go ahead and start looking at these wide receivers once again. Rankings are up on the screen. I'm going to go through these and I'm going to um, I'm going to go ahead and just read out our top 12 ECR rankings for those of you who are listening on the podcast version of this later. Our number one overall player consensus number one overall uh, wide receiver is Mr. Jackson Smith and Jigba for Ohio State. All of us have him at number one. Number two, not consensus, uh, but we do have Mr. A.T. Perry out of Wake Forest. At number three, we have Xavier Worthy out of Texas. Number four, we got Kayshawn Butte out of LSU. Number five, Jordan Addison out of Pittsburgh. Number six, Nathaniel Dell out of Houston. Number seven, Jermaine Burton out of Alabama. Number eight, Cedric Tillman out of Tennessee. Number nine, Josh Downs out of UNC. Number 10, we got Marvin Harrison Jr. out of Ohio State. Number 11, we got Jalen Cropper out of Fresno State. And number 12, we have Dante Cephas out of Kent State. So I can already I can already feel the people screaming at us right now, uh, both through the audio and through the live chat. I haven't looked at the live chat yet, but I'm sure Mitch is screaming about Butte right now, where 
we we've all heard the comments that have been made by Brian Kelly and that current situation going on with Keishon Butte and what do we think guys like I'm, I I imagine all of us are probably going to be moving Butte outside of our top 12 uh just because there's now a legitimate possibility that he doesn't even play this year um if, if things don't get better over there or at least he's going to transfer away to a much to a different situation that we were expecting him to be and we just don't know what it'll be so what are you guys overall thoughts anybody can chime in here oh you know we talked about it briefly in the uh you know before we came in as far as touching on Butte. Honestly, I mean, the, the comments that Brian Kelly made are super concerning uh, if you have Butte shares. But I will right now, I'm, I'm probably not going to adjust him too much until we just kind of get some more feedback on, on what's going on. Now, if, if word starts to leak that he's looking to maybe opt out or the injury, you know, he's still having some concerns. They get into fall camp and he's still not practicing or something like that. Then I'm definitely going to see a, a pretty significant drop, but I don't know at this point, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm going to move much more until I hear some, some actual change on how things are going. Brandon, what are your thoughts, sir? Um, I, I'm concerned too. Uh, it's just not the news you want to hear. Uh, I, I'm not being too drastic, but I did um, just for, you know, the sanctity of the rankings. And I know, you know, we got some updates coming up and things like that. So I just wanted to go ahead and get him out of the top 20. So then, you know, we have proper adjustments. Of course, that moves up on some of my wide receivers, which we'll talk about here shortly. But I think it's safe to put Booty out of at least the top 20, 25. That way, at least you can have your top tier guys kind of lined up the way you want to. And then as it progresses, like Nate saying, whether it's going in the right direction or it's, you know, down spiraling, and then we can just take him out of the top, whatever, or we find out he's just going to sit out and then pull a Jamar chase and see where, where that kind of goes. So um, until we further notice, I'm taking him down to wide receiver 25, just so I can uh, have the top 24 kind of the way that I want to. So that's kind of the, the progress that I'm taking here currently right now. Chris, what are your thoughts, sir? Yeah, I think I've probably adjusted him the most. Um, I don't think he's a top 30 wide receiver for me currently. There's way too much risk there. And I I, I won't confirm it because I, I personally cannot confirm it, but there's a lot of smoke to the idea that his ankle injury is substantially worse than the public has been led to believe. Um, like, and that it's not actually an ankle injury, that it is something far more serious and that he is, you know, like it could jeopardize him playing this year. Not to mention that it seems like him and Brian Kelly have a terrible relationship to start. Like Nate was saying, like that video is super disheartening. Like, I don't know how you could take Boutte and I don't even really like this situation for him. I liked it when I thought it was gonna be miles Brennan starting, but I don't really want Jaden Daniels throwing him the, the, the ball. So even like, I would have adjusted him no matter what. And now I got all this to like, to think about, I don't, I he he's someone that I will not end up on my teams because someone is going to take him earlier. Yeah. I think right now it's just a situation where either you're comfortable with the risk that comes with Boutte based off of what we know right now. And you're the person that's willing to step up and drafting. If you have drafts going on right now and you know, like the late third, fourth round is kind of, you know, maybe even the fifth round now. Or he's just pretty much off your board, which is what it sounds like for a lot of us, you know, and you're just you're just not going to touch him because the situation is just too 
too uh, too icky right now to invest really any you know substantial draft capital in him. Have we seen a, a mock since the stuff with Kelly broke? Like, do you know where he like, has? Have we had one? I don't um, believe I've had uh, one. Nate, I think has PJ he, done one yet? I don't think so. Nate, have okay. you been in the best? If ball? it was a C to C draft, I'd still take Bouje where he's going because he's still a first round draft. I mean, best like best ball would be okay for taking him at the value, but that would be about it, you know, at yeah. least right now. The most recent best ball that I saw, um, Josh Chevalier took him, I want to say like late fourth round, maybe. Hmm. Um, okay. but I don't I don't know for a fact if if that was before or after kind of what what was said by Brian Kelly. Yeah, that would put him in the for at least for my mocks that would, if late fourth round that puts him in the right like wide receiver 15 16 range and with best ball i imagine it's a little bit higher than that because you tend to take wide receivers a little bit earlier in best ball yeah my my guess is is that was kind of after the news and josh was was comfortable enough with taking him so mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's just I, I mean i still think if he plays he can he can be productive uh, but yeah there's there's concerns and having two ankle surgeries um if that's you know if that's what's going on having a second ankle surgery before you've practiced or played again that's concerning that means something did not go right with the first one so yeah mm-hmm. we'll just I, I think this is like i said i'm just i'm the type i'm just going to kind of wait and see and, and see what we hear in the fall camp and and then adjust accordingly then but i he probably won't end up on on any of my rosters at this point for any best balls that I do between now and then. Yeah, again, you're right. Especially with best balls and everything, you have to play with the information you have right now. You can't project too much because again, things are going to change, but you have to take the information you have right now because you, yeah, you can, you can say like, Oh, but what if this happens and everything is like, well, yeah, then take him later than what you're expecting. You have like, you have to play with the information that you have right now. So that's what I would say. So someone will take him, um, probably top 15 at the position in every draft i would guess yeah um, so like some so once so, someone will do that so it will never get to the point where he i at least in the foreseeable future he'll go outside the top 20 like i don't really i just don't think that's going to happen so agreed. It, mm-hmm. if you if you're comfortable with the risk take them because you probably have to take him top 12 ish someone will, someone will save you from needing to take him if it gets to like wide receiver 25 like you won't be in that situation so, no. There's think, someone who believes yeah. in him in every league. I, yeah, this is the best value you're going to get right now. So take the value if you're going to. So I think that's fair. All righty. Let's talk about just overall wide receivers again. I want to touch on Butte there because I could already feel a bunch of people being like, why, why is he still your consensus top four when the Ryan Kelly news and everything like that? We are moving him. Uh, I, I'm, I may not move him quite as far down as Chris is going. I probably feel a little bit more comfortable where Brandon's got him. Maybe a little bit higher than that. I'm not entirely sure yet. I'd have to take a look at it. Um, but even still, let's talk about overall here. Nate, I don't think I've started with you in terms of like an overall feeling for a position yet. So we're going to start with you. What's your overall feeling on this wide receiver class? Well, I think it's it's a little bit more defined than than running back in the sense that there's there's some clear tiers. It's not, um, you know, I, I don't think. There's more, I mean, obviously we know we have a consensus number one. So, uh, but I think after, even after that, we've, we've got some pretty clear tiers that are happening and you really kind of have to go down to the bottom of the, of our top 10 to 12 before we start seeing some real um, deviations on guys that we don't fully trust in or, or that, that some of us may have disagreements on. So, um, you know, I just think that it's, it's a little bit more clear cut than maybe some of the running backs were that we covered last time. All righty, Brandon, what are your thoughts, sir? 
sorry, I had to unmute. Um, I, I I think it's a uh, I think it's shaping up, you know, like a, like Nate's saying, it's shaping up pretty good. Um, you have your guys that are kind of been proven that it's kind of going to stay there near the top. Um, and then you guys, uh, guys are going to move up because of things like Boutte or just stuff that you're hearing, uh, like you know, Milton Wright, you know, he might be slipping a little bit for me as well. Um, so guys like uh, Jermaine Burton, no, sorry, Jared, uh, but Burton, you know, Alabama is starting to move up my ranks a little bit more. Uh, guys like Tillman's going to stay right on up there. Um, people that are moving up, uh, Cobbs, of course, uh, Johnson, who we'll talk about, and guys like Jennings out of Old Dominion is starting to kind of creep up more because of their transitioning and spring camps and what we're hearing and stuff like that. So it is cool to see how people are kind of shifting a little bit, but your consensus, uh, at least to the top, I would say top 10 is pretty, pretty strong. And if you get one of those guys, I would even say the top 20, you're going to be really good if you are stacking wide receiver as your draft strategy going one and two overall. You got some studs up there for sure. Chris, what are your thoughts, sir? Yeah, the the real tier break is probably, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, I think he's the guy that, like, we all have a pretty good consensus. And then after that, it's like the Wild West of, players like we have like i have a guy that y'all are having like way later and i think that's true for almost everybody in this range Mm -hmm. so the top 10 is pretty much locked in for the most part but there's a lot of differentiation after we get out of that like there's very little that all four of us are aligned with maybe like three or four players in the next 10 where we're all within like three or four slots of each other so it after you get there like you can wait on play i think you could just wait on receiver pretty easily this year like i think there's a lot of value to be had I agree for the most part. Like this, like I mentioned last week with quarterbacks that I like quarterback um, as one to wait. With wide receiver, to me, there's like, again, we agree. There's a top tier, guys. There's like a second tier that I think most people are kind of still in the semi-same range as. But then there's like a massive third tier. That third tier is the one that I feel very much the most comfortable with getting late into drafts, seeing guys I have ranked pretty highly still making it very far into some of these best ball drafts we've been doing that are deeper um like later rounds for like these uh redraft leagues that i'm doing or the redraft mocks that i've been doing i definitely feel the most comfortable drafting wide receiver very very late in these and i i i feel like just based on what you guys have been saying here that you guys kind of feel the same way so with that being said that's kind of our overall view here um, I think we're going to go ahead and just get into these uh, crazy rankings that we got going on here. Let's go ahead and get rid of these running backs. And Brandon, you're up on the chopping block here first. Uh, we're just going to put you out there, sir. Uh, you are on trial for the crime of ranking Mr. Quentin Johnson too low compared to everybody else. He is our ECR wide receiver seven, or 16, excuse me. Nate, you have him in the top 12. You got him at wide receiver 9. I have him at, I'm a little bit lower than you and Chris. I'm at wide receiver 18. I can explain that a bit when I get to my part. Chris, you got him in the top 12 as well. You're at wide receiver 11. Brandon, you, sir, are all the way down at wide receiver 30. What is going on, sir? What's going on here? Well, was wide receiver 30. Of course, the updates are coming soon, right? And now, but now come I figure on, out. Nate. Come on. <laughs> all right, Nate. All right, Nate. Nate, now I know why you're going to come at me, and it's because of the week that he played Oklahoma and went for 43.5 points. Is this correct before we even start? Is that why you're wide receiver nine? No, everybody did that against Oklahoma last year. (laughs) He was was one of many. (laughs) All right, but 
Uh, eventually, I had him, you know, too low. I get it. He had an injury. He didn't do good. Uh, I'm not a big guy on Duggan. I like Morris a little bit more. Uh, if I see Mordecai come in, I'm definitely going to be a little bit higher. I have moved Johnson to 19 just with all the shuffling going on and being able to kind of see where I was way too low to begin with. Uh, TCU is in not the top 25 in offense. However, they do a pretty good job. They're right there, I believe, at 36 overall in offense. Uh, I have heard the reports in camp, and that's why I've been moving up. Uh, and so that's where Johnson is absolutely destroying anything and everything. And it seems like it doesn't matter which quarterbacks uh, pass into him. He's doing a great job. So that's why he has moved up. Uh, but eventually I was just taking him there because of the not knowing between Duggan and Morris. But now that I see that it doesn't matter anymore, uh, he does good. And he seems to be the incumbent wide receiver one. Uh, the only thing is, uh, you know, sometimes he would disappear and, you know, that would only be like once every couple games. And that was a little bit concerning, but you know, the quarterback play was hit or miss last year too, as well. So as long as they have something consistent at quarterback, then I'm well, you know, well prepared to move him up into the top 15, uh, to go that way. But for now I want to keep them between 15 and 20, if that makes sense. So that is my, my thing. So please roast me. Alrighty, Nate or Chris, I'll let one of you guys go first, and I'll go last because I'm probably I'm kind of splitting in between here. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go. TCU and Gary Patterson, extremely conservative. They were 130, 130-something, whatever. 103rd in neutral game script pass rate. SMU under new coach Sonny Dykes. They ranked 22nd. Brand new offensive scheme coming in. They're not conservative anymore. Quinn Johnson, the player, is incredibly explosive in seven fully healthy games. He had four games over 95, including two over 140. Uh, I, I created this calculation last season called Unrealized Fantasy Points, which basically takes into account their air yards, uh, the yards for the catch. It, it puts it all to a formula and says, okay, based on expectation, your max number of Unrealized Fantasy Points is this. Quentin Johnson finished ninth in that stat. He, he left a lot on the board. He had 61 targets in nine games. That's a 20% target share. Despite missing full four, four full games in the games where he played, that's a 25% target share. TCU only threw 310 pass attempts last season. Slightly over 26 attempts per game. SMU averaged 13.2 more, to put into context how different these offenses were. I don't know if we get there from uh, Sonny Dykes given the quarterback situation, but if we assume that it's at least a little bit better, we're looking at between eight and nine targets a game for him if he keeps that same target share. That is a player, given his explosiveness and ability to create after the catch. Like he actually was quite good after the catch last year. He's he's gonna smash. He's gonna be awesome. Like I, I think he's the highest ceiling of any receiver in the Big Twelve. That includes Xavier Worthy, who we have much higher. All right, Nate, go ahead, sir. Yeah, so I think I think Chris did a good job of explaining it uh, where we're at from uh, more of an analytical perspective. For for me, it's it's also really comes down to uh, emotions on him too. I think with Quentin Johnson, he is so, um, I mean, he's almost so polarizing in a sense that it comes down to where your comfort level is because he, I mean, he's really more suited for best suited for a, for a best ball format when you don't have to guess when he's going to show up because he can absolutely throw some real stinkers out there. And then you're just like, what the heck, how'd you go for 45 points last week? And then you had two targets this week, but I think what it we we talked about this last week with with me and my feelings on tight ends and and how with Michael Trigg I was unwilling to rank him that high just because I wanted more a more proven more consistent tight end that I that I was comfortable with um, than than with Trigg 
with, with wide receiver, it's a little bit different for me. I'm willing to take that risk with Quentin Johnson. And I think that the coaching change, as Chris put it, this is a huge, huge deal for him to go from Mr. Conservative Gary Patterson to Sonny Dykes is massive. If we, if we remove the COVID year, then the average stat line for the Sonny Dykes wide receiver one is 81 catches, 1,068 yards, and 11.6 touchdowns. Um, and that and that includes guys like the, the guys that have done this is James Prochi, um, Chad Hansen, Quentin Patton, Kenny Lawler. None of these guys have the talent of a Quentin Johnston. They just do not have the size, speed, ability um, that that his immense talent is. So I, I just think that if if he can be if he can be somewhat healthy, that you're you can roll with the ups and downs of him, knowing that that type of stat line is really kind of where his floor is. Um, I, I totally get the concerns with Duggan and Morris, but Quentin Johnson, we've seen his ceiling with Duggan and Morris, and his ceiling is still massive, even with those guys. And, and, and as you mentioned, there's always a chance that we see a, a transfer quarterback like Mordecai potentially come over. Um, but I just think that it's it's just a much more lucrative system here with with Sonny, uh, with Sonny Dykes taking over. And I, I don't know, it sounds like you've, you've probably moved him up quite a bit, Brandon. Um, so I won't nitpick on the guys that you had ranked ahead of him. So I won't go down that route. I just think that, um, that I'm willing to take the risk of, of Quentin Johnston and, and some of the roller coaster that will be probably his production throughout the season, knowing what that level of upside is that he's presented with, with a system like Sonny Dykes. So I'm kind of in the middle, like between these two rankings, I'm sure Brandon's a little bit closer to probably where I have him ranked now, if he hasn't probably moved him up a little bit higher. My main concern is the quarterback. And like, we've, we've, we've beaten that bush to death here uh, with Duggan and you're right, Nate, we've seen a ceiling. We've seen him perform well with Duggan regardless. So I can't do that too much, but that's why I'm a bigger fan of him in like a best ball format than I am in like a redraft format where I don't have to sit there and debate whether to start him week to week. The thing that slightly concerns me regarding uh, Sonny Dykes is you were talking about guys like Prochet, but that's when he had Rhett Lashley as his offensive coordinator. And after Lashley goes off to Miami, uh, the next two years, again, we could take out the COVID year. That's fine. But then 2021, even in a year where Mordecai put up just at, like fantastic numbers wide receiver one in terms of the guy who got the most targets is Rushy Rice and he finished as the wide receiver 60 last year so I think that's like worst case scenario yeah but it's not really fair though yeah I mean he Sonny Dykes has an incredible track record if you can go back and look at what he did at Cal and that was all without Rhett Lashley and then you took a look at what he did at Louisiana my, Tech I mean you could make the argument I'm gonna he make is, my, my next the top five top five for wide receivers i'm gonna make my next point and say that probably quentin johnson is probably the most talented wide receiver he's ever had like at his disposal so i have to imagine he's gonna know to get the ball to quentin johnson as much as he can again the big thing for me is the quarterback and i just max duggan passing wise doesn't inspire a ton of confidence if i'm hearing great word out of camp that dyke's system is better suited for duggan he's performing better or as we're all kind of hoping maybe one of tanner mordecai or preston stone heads over to tcu uh, yeah, Quentin Johnson's going to my top 12 uh, wide receivers, and it probably doesn't even stop there. So, 
Again, that's that's the main thing I have. But again, I'm definitely higher than wide receiver 30. I know that there's incredible upside here. He's going to be somebody that I'll absolutely take in drafts if the opportunity presents itself. All right, Brandon, uh, you've heard our arguments against it. What are your thoughts, sir? Uh, I think I have him ranked, a, you know, a little bit better there at 19. Um, I mean, I'll ask, do you guys think we get, you know, a full 12 games? Do we think he's full health and in Dyke's system, do you think he stays healthier versus I, the previous regime? Or I don't like assuming whether a player plays a full 12 games or not. I assume every player is going to stay healthy because that's what, like, yeah. like you don't want to, like, again, I do, I do this in NFL fantasy as well where some people are like, oh, they're injury prone and stuff like that. I'm like, well, yeah, but, like, I don't like going into it because to me that feels like a guessing game. Like, you just get lucky. And I, I, I that, that sounds so wrong when I say that, but, like, if you if you didn't draft a guy because you think they're injury prone and then they get injured, that feels like you got more lucky than you got right. If that makes sense. Yeah, I just don't want to go top ten now. You know, until you know we might see, like I said, a Mordecai or Stone. I'm going top ten. You know, where Nate's at at nine. I just can't see going nine right now. I I could see going fifteen to nineteen where I'm at now for sure. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I was gonna say that. So his injury problems, like he was a lot slighter. He's added weight, and I think that's going to help him hold up maybe a little bit better because, I mean, he's like a 6'4 long strider, and so I think he's up to like 210, 215. Yeah, um, and that's pretty quick too. Yeah, that, like, that's a good size, and I, that makes me worry less about the injury history that he, that he has had through, through school. Like he came in really skinny, but he's, he's I, a better size now. I, I, do, I do totally get the injury concerns because these injuries aren't like, um, you know, like, like – they're, they're not big injuries, but he just seems to always have nagging injuries. So he turns an ankle and he's out for like two to three weeks, you know, things like that. So those, those types of concerns, I, I get it. I mean, he's had a couple of years now and, and he's, he's missed a handful of games each year. So that's problematic, but yeah, hopefully the weight gain will be uh, to his benefit for that concern. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next wide receiver. We're here to debate. Uh, I'm going back on the chopping block here. Uh, for having a wide receiver too low compared to everybody else. And I'm going on the trial for Mr. Dontavian Wicks, our ECR wide receiver 19. Nate, you have him at wide receiver 19. Brandon, you have him as wide receiver 20. Chris, you have him as wide receiver 19. I have him down at wide receiver 30. And pretty much almost all of my problems here are the same problems I'll have against with the entire Virginia offense. With an added thing, there's, a, there's kind of three parts here. So the biggest problem for me is the change from Ane and Mendenhall going over to Tony Elliott. Let's look at Tony Elliott's wide receiver ones when he is um, when he, when he was the full time offensive coordinator for Clemson. Twenty twenty, you had Amari Rogers, seventy seven receptions, one thousand twenty yards, seven touchdowns. That's good. That's fine. That, that's wide receiver thirty six last year. So it's a little bit less than what we're seeing than what we are seeing here. But even still, his at and this is what I'm going to get into later. His average depth, um, his average uh, yards per receptions was 13.2 yards. And then 2021, we had last year. This is the whole DJU debacle. Um, Ross, 46 receptions, 514 yards, three touchdowns. Would have been the he finishes the wide receiver 172. Just absolute garbage. I don't expect Dontavian Wicks to be the 172nd wide receiver this year. Otherwise, I wouldn't be drafting him at all because I still believe in him somewhat. Uh, but again, you have the problem of Elliott just not producing a wide receiver one really as an offensive coordinator. But then you say, oh, 
maybe the offensive coordinator he's hiring now will help him out because, you know, Elliot's the head coach now. Let's see who brings it off as offensive coordinator. Well, let me introduce you to Desmond Kitchings, the former Falcons running backs coach. Uh, so you got an R- you got a running backs-minded head coach coming in for Virginia, and you have an offensive co- or a former offensive coordinator that um, was able to produce uh, Amari Rogers at wide receiver 36 as his best one. And then throw in there on top of everything, you have you have Dontavian Wicks is just astronomical. 21.1 yards per reception last year, which was seventh among wide receivers with greater than 20 receptions and first among wide receivers with greater than 50 receptions. I don't see how that's going to be sustainable, especially given the uh, the offensive identity that's probably or the identity offensive identity change. Good lord, Jared, speak English. Offensive identity change that is likely coming. I don't see. I don't think he gets nearly as many targets that deep downfield, and I don't think he's nearly as efficient as he was last year. And the guy that was next closest to him was Jamison Williams at 19.9 yards per reception, and that comes on a guy who played as the wide receiver one for Alabama's offense, which is not the same situation that Dontavian Wicks is run walking into. Chris, you look like you are ready to um, explode over there, so I'm going to let you go first. How many games do you think Virginia's favored in next year? Two, three, maybe, maybe. Three. probably three. I think their win total is probably gonna be three and a half. Um, they've lost so much and their defense was a bottom five defense in the country, including um, group of five programs. The offensive identity isn't going to matter at that point. It doesn't matter how much they want to run the ball. They're going to have to throw and play catch up all game. They're going to be a terrible, terrible defense. And I would have him higher if I felt like their neutral game pass rate would be would be like 50%. I don't think it's going to be. I think they're going to want to run the ball. I think by the second quarter, they're going to be down most weeks. And I think they're going to have to end up throwing the ball. Like, I, I don't believe in this defense. It makes it really hard for me to sell the idea that they're going to want to run and keep running when they like legitimately can't. If that direction, that's the direction they're going to go, I would be surprised if they like kept running when they were down like 14. And, and I just, I like, I'm going to take the under on their win total. I think this team's going to be terrible. But I think they'll score a lot of points on offense because I think Brandon Armstrong is a player who can get Wicks the ball because uh, we saw it last season. And I think he's going to be productive this season. I think he's going to be operated as a wide receiver one. And given the game scripts, the same game scripts they saw last year, it's going to be an offense that scores a lot of points. It's just going to be a worse overall team. And so it's hard for me to sell myself on Wicks outside the top 30, knowing that they're probably going to pass maybe not the same number of times, but pretty close because they're going to be forced to. And so the office's identity doesn't matter as much to me. And so that's the distinction that I think I have between your approach and my approach, which is I think he's got, got to be a top 20 guy. But do you think he's still going to be able to keep up that efficiency of 21 yards per reception? Um, like I don't that, know if he that, has to. Like That's the part that concerns me the most because even, in, like you said, same situation as last year. He still was only target, or he was only uh, he only caught the ball fifty-seven times. Like he had he, the highest, he had the highest A dot in the country by a large margin. So his it's his his targets. I mean, his targets were deep, and I mean they they. I think he was like almost a yard and a half deeper average target than anybody else in the country. It was it was crazy. His his role will regress to the point where it makes a little bit more. So like, I don't think he's going to be targeted 20, 20 yards downfield every every time. Like I think that they're going to have to 
probably get him involved in a different way. Like, I, like you don't really sustain that high of a number year over year, um, especially at an outlier level like that. So even if he regresses, I don't think he keeps that number up. Like I'm not super, I guess I'm just not super worried about it. Like I think he'll score more touchdowns this year. I think he should have had more last season. I think he should have had like three or four more. Um, so like, even if he has a lower a dot, I think he's going to get those touchdowns. It's just hard for me to keep him outside knowing how much this offense is going to pass again. No, I think that's fair. Um, Nate, did you have more to say or did, or are you ready for Brandon to say his piece? Um, yeah, I, I'll chime in a little bit, I guess. I, I think you intentionally picked this guy knowing that, that uh, I was not going to defend him too, too sternly coming down on you, knowing that he was on my, uh, my stock down report in the, uh, in the preseason, but <laughs> um, Happy I'll take, sir. Happy coincidence. I'll, I, I will t- I'll take a couple shots here. So uh, Chris mentioned the schedule. They do avoid Clemson and NC state, which is really nice. Uh, for Virginia. Those are the two, by far the top two defenses in that conference. Um, Strangely enough, they play Coastal Carolina in the second to week, uh, second to last uh, week of the season. They play them in a semi-conference week, uh, semi-finals week in the CFF playoffs, which is very strange non-conference timing. Um, No, I mean, I I think it comes down to this. Wicks last year was his first full season. He he had been injured prior to that. He's he was still really raw as a receiver. He could still be getting better for all we know. He's got obviously uh Armstrong coming back at quarterback. It's that's a huge benefit. As Chris mentioned, they are going to be playing a lot of catch up, even even if they don't have Clemson and NC State. There's a lot of uh shootout potential uh on their on their uh schedule. So I think there's that. I think more than anything, just for me, when I was looking at some of your rankings is a few of the guys that you had ahead of him that were just a little puzzling for me. Let's hear it. And that, yeah. So let's, let's talk about it. So you have, um, you have O'Keefe from UCF ahead yes. of him. And as we, as we mentioned last week uh, in our, in our rankings, you uh, are also a believer that Plumlee's going to get that job. And I just, I, I don't know that both of those things can be possible, that O'Keefe could outscore Wicks with Plumlee as his quarterback. Um, I, so that, I'll that, defend, that would I'll be... I'll defend it from two points here. So O'Keefe, his, um, his jet sweeps and touches there, I think they're going to be using him in that role a little bit more this year. And then secondly, I was operating under the assumption that Jalen Robinson was not, was not coming back this year, and I've recently learned that he is coming back, so oh, yeah. I am moving Keefe down a few spots. So that, that was my mistake on that part. So I will be moving Keith down just a little bit. Who else yeah. you got on me? The other the other two players that, that I would be concerned with that I just had a tough time ranking ahead of Wicks because I, I was looking for ways to kind of move Wicks down in my rankings too. And this was about as far as I could go because you run into guys like you have ranked here, like Zay Flowers and uh, and Damon, uh, not Damon, um, Demas Dante from Demas. Dante Demas from Maryland, which – we don't know any, we really don't know about his health. He hasn't even returned to running quite yet. Uh, and Zay Flowers, I just have major concerns about the offensive coordinator change there. I mean, they're, that's, that's, that's a big, big, big time concern for me. So guys like that, I mean, it's just, I, I think Boston College is going to be a run heavy team and, um, and Demas, we just don't know about his health. Yeah. When it comes to Zay Flowers, like I'm getting a healthy Jerkovich back. I'm hoping that he is a much better, better, much better year this year because I think he is the kind of person that even when 
you are a run-heavy team, he is going to be heavily involved and get plenty of targets in the limited pass attempts that maybe Boston College does get. So I still am a believer in him there. And you mentioned Dante Dimas. I, I, again, I get the injury concern, but I know that if he comes back, he'll probably be the wide receiver one again like he was last year for Maryland throughout uh, several games since the season. So I'm feeling pretty good about Dante Dimas there. You're right. I do need to move O'Keefe down just a little bit. That is something I hadn't done quite yet. That injury for Demas was was gnarly though. It, it was pretty brutal. So again, I'm, I'm, not, that, that's one I'm keeping an eye on. Spring. He's not practicing the spring either. No, he's not even running. Yeah. He, has, he has he hasn't been cleared to return for running yet. Hmm. No. Yeah, that, that that is one I do need to move. Uh, Keith, I definitely need to move down. I'm going to believe in Demas. Demas, I'm kind of in the same realm as uh, Muhammad Ibrahim, where it's like each week that goes by that I just don't hear good news out of him. He's probably going to be dropping my rankings. If that makes sense, um, but yeah, in ter- again, in terms of Wicks, again, I like him. The thing I'm kind of keeping an eye out for, or, or so, Brandon, have I have we gotten to you on your thoughts yet? Whoop, hello, no, but hello, it's hi, Fee. Uh, no, it's uh, I mean, it's the same as everyone else. Uh, playing from behind, uh, just like uh, our friend Dennis in the chat. O line is not the not the greatest, so it's going to be a run and gun season for for Brendan Armstrong and. If we're looking at PPR, we're looking at least 50-something, 60 receptions, so that's at least 50, 60 points for Wicks. And then whatever he does past the point of catch is just going to kind of heavily rely. Uh, I do see a regression probably and maybe some touchdowns for Wicks, but overall I I think it's a safe bet that they're going to be running and gunning for their lives basically, kind of like Dennis was saying, kind of like Sam Sam Howell had to do here this past year uh, at Carolina. So, uh, you know, that's why I have it so high. Uh, I'm only like one down from everybody else, but that's, you know, same, same sentiment basically. Yeah. The thing, the, the other thing I'm going to play devil, devil's advocate for myself here is that even with this coaching change that I don't believe in, we didn't really see like a mass exodus of players, offensive players from this system. Like, yeah, Wayne, t- uh, Wayne T he's gone. He's in the transfer portal. Uh, Jelani Woods, he went off to the draft. Turns out that was a very good decision because he's probably going to be one of the top tight ends taken off the board given his combine record. Um, but like guys like Dontavian Wicks, like guys like Keaton uh, Thompson, guys like Brandon Armstrong, they didn't enter the portal. I'm very interested to see like as spring camps kind of come to a close, if ne- after like a full um, se- or a full off season of practices there, maybe we would see that exodus a little bit later than. Uh, than they get when they first made that hire. I don't know. That's just kind of me speculating, but it's something I'm going to keep an eye on because we're going to see some big players after spring hit the transfer portal, and I'll be interested to see if any of them come from the Cavaliers. So let's go ahead and move on here. Uh, Nate, you are up next, sir, and you are on trial for your ranking of Mr. Jalen Cropper, uh, he, a wide receiver out of Fresno State. He is our ECR wide receiver 11. You guys saw him there on that front page. I got him at wide receiver 9, Brandon, you're at wide receiver 10. Chris, you're at wide receiver 12. Nate, you got him outside the top 24, sir. You are saying he is wide receiver 25. So, sir, please explain your thought process behind this one. Yeah, it does look like I'm, I'm quite a bit behind you guys. I think, did you mention he still was within our top 12, right? He was yes. like 12th as far as he's He's okay. 11th, I believe. Yeah, yeah, you guys are very consistent where you have him. Um so my biggest my biggest issue with Cropper, and he, this is a guy that I invested in pretty heavily last year. I, I was big fan, big fan of of the potential that um, uh, that he has. But 
let's not confuse the Jeff Tedford passing offense with the Kalen DeBoer system. Um, they're not, they're, they're quite different systems. Uh, even though Tedford has been previously at um, Fresno state, we have a pretty extensive track record of what Jeff Tedford is. We've got 11 years of him kind of running the show between Fresno state and Cal out of those 11 years, he had twice where his wide receiver one scored 15 points or more, two out of 11 years. Over that same period, three times his wide receiver one averaged less than eight points per game, fantasy points per game. So in that situation, it's more likely that his top player averages less than you know 10 to eight points than it is that he gets you 15 to 17 points per game. That's a little concerning for me. Um, and, and let's not make it like, well, okay, Jalen Cropper's more talented than what Tedford's had in the past. That's certainly not true. Jeff Tedford has had the likes of Keenan Allen, Marvin Jones, Deshaun Jackson at Cal, and then Keyshawn Johnson, most recently at Fresno state. This guy has had some really, really talented wide receivers, uh, throughout his time there. So, you know, Cropper was good early on last year, but we also can't ignore the fact that, um, he kind of slipped down the stretch. He averaged just 11 points per game over his last seven games. Part of that was probably due to uh, the quarterback play um, with uh, what's his face being, uh, being injured there down towards the stretch. Heiner. Yeah. With Jake Hayner injured a little bit towards the stretch. Well, let's hope that Hayner's uh, healthy and, and he's not going to have that same slip, but I just, I just think that this is a situation where while I love what it's done for Jordan Mims and his fantasy potential or running back. I don't feel the same. Uh, at least I don't have the same confidence in the passing system. And I just think that there is just as much of a likelihood that Cropper flops as there is that he excels and, and, and produces at a top 10 rate. So listening to what you're saying here and like looking at my own notes and everything, I will admit I'm probably ranking Cropper here at his ceiling. And I do think that in some ways that can be a mistake. But also you mentioned the fact that like, oh, let's not pretend that he hasn't had other talented wide receivers. Yeah, he's had other talented wide receivers like Keenan Allen, uh, Keyshawn Johnson, guys that you mentioned there. But I think Cropper belongs in terms of level of talent, like at least in that near same tier. I feel like he can work with him. And again, you mentioned like, yeah, we got 11 years of um, got 11 years of Tedford and his wide receiver ones, but let's not ignore like two out of his last three years were some of his best years with the wide receiver. You got Keyshawn Johnson, who in 2017 uh, had 77 receptions, 1,013 yards, eight touchdowns. That would have been good for wide receiver 33 last year. Again, clearly even lower than even where you have him ranked. But then in 2018, uh, Johnson went 95 receptions for 1,340 yards, eight touchdowns. That would have been good for wide receiver eight last year. So again, clearly he learned something in those last couple of years where he is able to utilize his top wide receiver just a little bit better. Now, the counterpoint here being 2019 had a very, very bad uh, wide receiver production year there. Uh, Zane Pope was his top wide receiver, who I think is now like the wide receiver five for Fresno State. Uh, he had 47 receptions, 529 yards, and a touchdown. That would have been good for a wide receiver 189th. That's clearly like doomsday scenario. Cropper is much more talented than Zane Pope will ever be. 
Uh, and in addition, like Cropper does still have Hayner. Again, obviously, I agree with you. The concern of him disappearing throughout several games last year, the entire stretch of last season, was very concerning. But he still finished as a top. Um, let me pull it up here real quick. I believe he still finished as a top thirty he wide receiver. Seven, he, he averaged seventeen points per game last year. Uh, Cropper did, which is uh, coincidentally is the most that a receiver has ever averaged for Jeff Tedford. So. Again, I can admit that we're probably drafting him at his ceiling here a little bit at wide receiver nine. I might bump him down just a few spots because of the way I'm, I, I started kind of putting the numbers together in my head. But I still believe that Cropper can be very productive next year. I don't think there's any reason to really fade him too much besides that. Chris or Brandon, what are y'all thoughts? Brandon, we'll go All right, yeah. Um, for Cropper... Uh, you know, I I took a look first at fan checks, of course. I always like to go back and see, you know, past past season's production. He finished the 15th overall wide receiver, uh, 266.5 fantasy points, which is pretty good. Um, I liked his consistency. So basically there was only two games where he went under 10 fantasy points. And you want to have something to where you at least have consistency or, you know, double digits or more from your wide receiver each and every week that you're producing, you know, minus the bye week that he's, that he's going to be on. So I do like the consistency. I like the returning of Jake Hayner. He's not going to Washington. He's, you know, retracted that and went back to Fresno State. Jordan Mims is on the up and up. So I love that that three stack, uh, especially in DFS play. Um, if you can get them all three in best ball somehow, that's another great one. And, of course, you got them in Dynasty. That's going to look good, too. Um, but for, for redraft, I, I pushed him at wide receiver 10, just because, uh, I really don't see a, a true wide receiver two yet. I know the one they had, I think last season, wasn't he a senior? Didn't he, didn't he graduate? I'm, I'm not quite sure. I don't remember, but I don't see a true consistent wide receiver two that could kind of take away from it just yet. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. As far as going wide receiver 10, I could go down maybe like 11, possibly 12, but I have high hopes for, uh, for Cropper this season. So that's just my take. Chris, what are your thoughts, sir? Yeah, I am not as concerned with Tedford coming in because for two reasons. Um, when Tedford hired Kalen DeBoer as his offensive coordinator at Fresno, it was a big shift in philosophy. The way that they were th- they were throwing the ball a lot more than they were previously with Eric Casale, who um, is now the offensive coordinator at Auburn, like he's a run heavy guy. But DeBear was not. And there's a big change of philosophy. They had seasons of like 425 pass attempts and then 300, almost 390 pass attempts, I think. They were scoring 35, like between 30 and 40 points in those two years. Like it was not a bad offense. And the quarterback was Jorge Reña. So that is not nearly the talent that Jake Hayner has. So I think they, they he wanted to do that uh, a little bit more when he, I, I think there's flexibility to, Tedford, depending on who the offense coordinator coordinator is, and he's retaining the passing game coordinator this year, um, who worked under DeBoer. Actually, he hired uh, Kirby Moore when he originally got to Fresno, and Kirby Moore was a wide receiver coach. Now he's going to be the offense coordinator. He'll be a lot closer to DeBoer than I think the previous Tedford regimes were, and even the the DeBoer regime that we saw under Tedford. I think that'll be pretty close. Cropper was wide receiver 24 last season. He still had 85 receptions. He's a true possession wide receiver. I don't think that portion is going away. Um, like you said earlier, like Hanner was legitimately injured. His hip injury was, I think, worse than we were led on to believe, according to like some of the people in the know at Fresno. Carrick Wheat follows out of eligibility. I think that 
that's a pretty big hole in the offense. I think we'll probably see Cropper get a little bit more opportunity than he had previously. I think he'll probably play a little bit deeper role because that was the one that Weefall was playing. And so if he's playing a little bit deeper, I think there's more potential for more yardage because he only had like 899 yards last season. Um, I think there's just a lot more potential in that. And then Fresno's defense was actually like pretty okay last season. Um, they had a top 10 secondary. They're losing one player out of it. They're, they're retaining their best safety, uh, who's probably drafted next year. But 73% of returning production on defense is not great. And so I think that you could see a step back and you could see a lot more catch-up games than they maybe were playing last season against worse opponents. So I think we're I I think it's going to be pretty similar to what we saw last season rather than like a big step back. And so I have Cropper probably I could I I would move him to 15 um cuz I do think we're ranking him ahead of ceiling, but like I wouldn't I don't think I'd move him further. Than that. Like I think that it's going to be a pretty similar offense. I still expect him to be the beneficiary. I think Josh Kelly will be a little bit better, but it's really Cropper who I think we'll take a step forward. I just played around with my rankings a little bit, not to butt in here before you, Nate, but I um, pretty much as far down as I can move him was wide receiver 13. That's where I can move him down to. I can really move him past guys like Dante Cephas, where I'm a little worried about Colin Schley starting at uh, quarterback. He'll still probably be great, but I can move him past that. Zakari Franklin, I still like him a lot, so that might have been a bit of... Um, that might be debatable there, but again, like Marvin Mims, Jaden Reed, I'll take Jalen Cropper over those guys. So. Yeah, I think you guys, I mean, I, I think the point that there is some, there's a really nice level of consistency between them, you know, not having to replace much of the offense. So with the OC being a guy that was left over, that was a wide receivers coach that Kalen, that worked underneath Kalen DeBoer and, and that Tedford has familiarity with. That's important. It's also important that they've Cropper and Hainer have now had two years uh, of working together um, of the history. So that's important too. Yeah. I think you guys probably have him ranked or at least before this summit, you guys probably have him ranked at his ceiling. There's a chance I probably got him closer to his floor. So um, I would say maybe the reality lies somewhere in between. Absolutely. All righty. Not to cut this conversation off, but we do probably need to move on to our final guy here. And Chris, I know you want plenty of time to defend your man here. So we're going to go ahead and get to it. Uh, Chris, you're on trial for, uh, I want, I, dare I say, the crime of ranking one of the best names in college football too highly, sir. You got Mr. Mac Hippenhammer at wide receiver 13 when ECR, our ECR has him as wide receiver 37. I have him at wide receiver 35. Uh, Nate and Brandon, you got him down there at wide receiver 49 and 56, respectively. So, Chris, you're trying to just... You're, you are really putting Hip and Hammer out here with uh, this wide receiver 13 ranking. What's got you so high on him, sir? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, <laughs> it is not the crime that I'm guilty of. It is the crime that y'all are guilty of. A team... That is 21st in the country in neutral game script pass rate. Just lost their wide receiver one. Is returning Hippenhammer, who's now in his third year in this offense, with no competition whatsoever, unless you want to consider a transfer who's 6'4 as competition, despite over the last five years, the wide receiver one and two have not been that archetype in any capacity under Chuck Martin. So... They've all been guys who are between 5'10", 5'11", 
180-200. That's the archetype this offense uses. So you could say whatever about your Miles Marshall from Indiana. I'm sure I'll hear it. This is a guy who had 90 targets last season. That's a 22% target share. Jack Sorensen is vacating 117 targets. No, I don't think Hippen Hammer will get all those targets, but I do think it's realistic to see a bump upwards. This was a player who was second in the country last season in unrealized air yards. The player above him, Devin Tompkins. He ranked sixth in air yards, period, above him. Devin Tompkins, A.T. Perry, Jalen Tolbert, Jordan Addison, Dontavian Wicks. Directly behind him, Jacob Cowing, Jack Sorensen, his teammate, Jamison Williams, Tay Martin. All of those players were wide receiver 28 or better. Six of nine of them finished top 15. Gabbard is a quarterback who loves to throw it deep. He ranked sixth out of 110 quarterbacks last season in percentage of attempts over 20 yards. That is the role that Hippenhammer traditionally had played because he has 4-4-7-ish four, 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 speed. The year before, he had a 16.4 A dot. This year, his A dot was 19, but they haven't had to use him in the short and intermediate areas because they had Jack Swordson doing that. Miles Marshall doesn't, doesn't have that role. They don't really leverage the slot receiver in this offense all that much. Hippenhammer is the outside guy. And it's not that Hippenhammer can't play in the short intermediate game because that's the role they wanted him to play at Penn State. He just happened to fit better in this offense because they had Jack Sorensen doing his thing. And they said, okay, you have the speed that nobody else on this team has. We'll get you a target steep. So a deep threat on a team that the te- that is vacating a ton of targets with a quarterback who loves to throw it deep. Tell me why Matt Kippenhammer doesn't have 1200, 1,200 yards, 12 touchdowns in his range of outcomes this year, because it sure seems like the opportunities there, given how poor this Miami of Ohio defense is, combined with their high pass rate, combined with Gabbert wanting to chuck it deep, it all aligns perfectly for the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Kippenhammer. Nate, it's been a while since, I, since you've gone first, so I'll let you go first on this one. Okay, um, so that that was just fun to listen to more than anything. Um, I agree. I I uh, so, okay. So couple a couple things. Um, I honestly, whenever I was looking at this, either I I, I totally had forgotten that um, Marshall is transferring there uh, from Indiana. I, I honestly did. I, I this this probably isn't going to make Chris too happy, but I actually kind of like Miles Marshall. I actually think he's a pretty decent player. Um, that, so here I am prepared. Is, I was sitting, I was sitting there staring at it. I was like, what the hell am I going to argue with Chris about on this one? Cause I was, I was kind of throwing my hands up other than the fact that he just, you know, hip and hammer just has been the number two that his whole time there and hadn't really had the opportunity. I was like, I guess they don't have anybody else, but I actually think Marshall's pretty decent. Um, so that, that would be a little concerning for me. I think more than anything, it's just that 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 Hippenhammer was just, I mean, he was a distant number two last year. I mean, he, six out of his 12 games, he had less, he had three catches or less. I mean, the, he was just non-existent for half of the games that he played in last year. He, he only had 27 fewer targets. Yeah. He had 22% target share. Jack Sorensen, I think, had a 25% target share. I was, yeah, I was looking at that. because It was not was one, big of a difference. There was, there were, well, the production wise, it was a big difference, but Absolutely. volume of volume of target was, was, was fairly close. But yeah, cause I was looking at that. There was one game towards the end of the year last year where Hippenhammer actually got 16 targets, but I think he was only able to convert them into like, I think it was like four catches 
for maybe 90 yards or something like that. So I, I don't know. I just have my concerns. Is he any good? I don't know if he's any good. I, I, I get that there is a ton of vacated production there with Sorensen moving on, um, but I'm I'm less as optimistic about that now as I was five minutes ago whenever you uh, mentioned Marshall going there. I just don't know if he's any good. I, I, I was trying to look it up, but I didn't have time on, on PFF. Did, did, did Sorensen play primarily outside yeah. or inside? So over like 75% of the time outside. outside. And, and I'm assuming Hippenhammer was the Z. He played outside as well. Yeah, Hippenhammer only played outside or in the slot like 4% of the time. Okay. All right. Well, that, that, that's a fair point then. I mean, then it would, you would think that he would be able to slide in and take on. And Marshall's clearly going to play outside as well too. So um, I just think it's going to be the the two of them competing for targets and and um, is it a case is 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 Hibbenhammer is he good enough if he gets a lot of that Sorensen vacated target share is he able to convert that into productivity on the field because last year for the most part he wasn't. I'll go here next. Um, so again, full disclosure, I'm going to pull Brandon here. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, with the way I've been moving around receivers and everything, I have actually moved Hippenhammer up a little bit more from 35. He's now my wide receiver 31, uh, based on how I've been moving other guys and everything. So, Jump change. Jump change. So, Chris, I am... Defund uh, those numbers up, kid. I'm, I'm closer to you, but the main name that I'm kind of coming back to when I'm thinking about like your argument and everything, again, you, you've made a great argument, Chris, no doubt about it. And I agree with you that he is probably set to benefit the most, even with Miles Marshall there. And I do like Miles Marshall. The name I keep coming back to is a guy we were talking about earlier, and that was Marquez Cooper. Uh, when you have teams going into situations on their schedule where you're missing two games right off the bat, you got Kentucky and Cincinnati in their first three weeks. Those are good defenses that Miami of Ohio is going to be going up against. Now, you can you can turn that around and say, like, well, they're going to be in a, a game script where they're going to need to pass more. Fair point. But even still, they're not going to be scoring a ton of touchdowns, not going to be scoring a ton of points. And so, to me, if you have guys that where you're just automatically losing two out of your weeks, you're not going to be starting Hippenhammer in those first three weeks. When you have SEC games where people are playing, like, Nova Southeastern or something like that. You're going to put your guys in that situation. You're not going to put Heppenhammer in for Kentucky or against Cincinnati unless their defenses are just much worse than I'm anticipating. You don't have a guy ranked that high uh, for a guy like that where you lose two weeks automatically, in my opinion. So I can't quite get to you there, Chris, with wide receiver 13. To me, it's right in that same range where, like, where I have like Marquez Cooper going where it's like, you hit you can hit him not many people are talking about him you could probably hit him in that uh wide or the round eight seven eight range probably hit him right around there where you have him that wide receiver 13 you're hitting him in the second round i doubt you're actually doing that in practice if you are congratulations sir so i feel like i'd be, I'd be willing to wait on hip and hammer and take him just like with marquez cooper knowing that his value is going to come later down the season but i'm not taking a guy as high as that at wide receiver 13 in a draft. Brandon, what are your thoughts, sir? All right. So if people don't know, I, I'm the guy that owns Brett Gabbard and Dynasty. So I am a Brett Gabbard guy. Um, I like Miami, Ohio. I love the Mac. Uh, you know, made some good money with the Mac. So it is what it is. But 
Hip and Hammer, you know, like I said, last season as the two, 48 catches, 786 yards, five touchdowns. That's pretty good, right? Uh, but we forget that pedigree from coming from a P5 school to a G5 school does make a difference. Let's take an example, uh, Jared Doge or Doggy, however you say it. The only reason why his name is still even, you know, considered as a, like a battle in Western Kentucky is because he comes from West Virginia, right? So it's like kind of same point as the transfer comes in. Now all of a sudden he holds this pedigree and why would he transfer there unless there was something discussed as far as opportunity uh, you know what I'm saying? Starting at least, right? So that poses a threat to Hippenhammer. Uh, I like Hippenhammer. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm 56, I could move him up, and you know, I could probably see him in, I don't know, the 30s, but I could definitely put him in the 40s for sure. Uh, I just don't see a 1,200-yard season from Hippenhammer. I do see maybe 900. He does move up. I think his catches goes up. So PPR alone, I like Hippenhammer, you know, in the top 50 easily. Uh, he was wide receiver 98 just last year as a wide receiver too. So, I mean, that keeps him, you know, at least – you know, they're in the top 100, but I could see him moving up, you know, another 50 spots just by the opportunity to moving up again. I just, I really just don't see the chance for another wide receiver one. And this is his last year. This is his senior season. So he had, he, you know, this is make or break for, for him and him or so. Yeah, I think that, oh, I think those are all fair points. I, the qu- same question that Nate has, like, is Hippenhammer good? I don't know if, if Miles Marshall is actually good. He was running behind DJ Matthews. Um, he was fourth on team in targets until Matthews got hurt. He only had four games with multiple catches last season out of 10. Like is miles Marshall better than Matt Kippenhammer? I'm not really sure he, but nobody's, like, nobody's ranking miles Marshall in their top 15. No, but that's, that's a question of competition for targets. It, it is, I guess how I'm approaching that a little bit better, a little bit differently. Like I don't see miles Marshall as a threat to Hippenhammer's like a, a 30 plus percent target share. Yeah, like that. He doesn't really concern me because also because he's never been that prototype has never hit in that offense for at least like five seasons. He's just not that type of player they use. Um, I think he's more of a threat in the red zone, but that's not really how Hippenhammer is used either. So I guess I have less concern about Marshall, but I I am clearly much higher than all y'all on him. So clearly that is true. Alrighty, that pretty much brings us to the end of our show here. Again, Chris, Nate, Brandon, really appreciate you guys taking some time on your Sunday afternoon to come on here, discuss the our running backs and wide receiver rankings. All of you who have been tuning in during this entire time, really appreciate you guys tuning in. We are averaging almost 20 minutes of view right now, which means you guys are here and you're staying and you're really listening to the conversation so i really appreciate all of you who have been here from the very beginning of the of the stream to here and all of you who have just kind of tuned in came in a little bit later and have just really enjoyed what you've been hearing really appreciate you guys um so coming up next uh chris and i will be back on here in about 20 30 minutes we'll be have john lob on we're going to be over on the campus of canton youtube right now we're on the or excuse me, we're on the Campus of Canton YouTube right now. We're going to be moving over to the Chase and Natty YouTube channel. We'll be putting out a link to that here in just a little bit. Um, absolutely join us there. The Gridiron Scholar will be joining us. He is always a blast to have on with that. And like I said, appreciate each and every one of you guys tuning in. And yeah, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. And the CFF offseason is really only just beginning. So appreciate y'all and y'all have a wonderful weekend.